Ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender expressions, thank you for checking out the North Bank Media Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Strevens. Now, joining me on the show this afternoon was my friend, Jeff Marin. Uh, you may remember Jeff. He's been on the show a couple times. Um, we had done some work together uh, with a digital marketing company that he was at one time involved in, uh, but he has since moved on to becoming a tractor salesman, which maybe is more in line with his rural roots. I'm not sure. We didn't technically talk about that, I guess, but... You know, on top of that, Jeff's a very uh, outspoken guy. He's an advocate, I would say, for uh, personal liberties, uh, for freedom, uh, also for personal responsibility. Uh, I would say, too, for for um, traditional values. You know, he's a man of faith. He's a father. He's a husband. Um, and, and he lives his life in a principled way. He's a man of faith as well, a Christian man. And, you know, it's this this podcast has revealed to me about myself that uh, it's it's hard for me sometimes because I entertain so many uh, conflicting beliefs. Uh, it's hard for me to live in all ways, at all times, a principled life. Um, so to talk to somebody who is a bit more principled, a bit more, I guess, uh, firm in their beliefs, and, uh, you know, that's that's important for me. And also, it's a, he's a guy who can, I would say, explain why he feels why he believes the way he does uh, very well, which is more important really than anything to to grapple with the ideas and to explain them in a way that, that work and that you it's hard to deny, at least you can't deny understanding what he's talking about. So a uh, very clear thinker, a great speaker, and a, a good friend and someone I enjoy spending time with and talking to. I hope you will as well. So please enjoy this conversation with Jeff Marin. <laughs> So let me get this right. Father, you, husband, son, tractor salesman. Mm-hmm, indeed. COVID survivor. COVID survivor. Second tier citizen. Need the t-shirt. That's right, you I do. I survived COVID. I survived COVID and all I got was what? Anything? Like, how was that? Not even any medicine. <laughs> they didn't <laughs> just you... sent us home. Really, hey? Said ride it out. Have ride fun. it out. It was you and your wife? And our two little ones. Oh, wow. So Jeez. the whole the whole house was was in on it. Was it bad? Um, I would say it as far as the severity, it was probably somewhere between a cold and a flu. Okay, okay. Now my wife and I don't really get sick. I mean, I, I don't think I've been sick for five or six years, mm-hmm. and her probably seven or eight years. Okay. Um, but based off of you know previous flus and mm-hmm. colds and stuff, I would say it was somewhere kind of between. You know, a bad flu you might get where you're throwing up all the time mm-hmm. and a cold. Nobody threw up. Okay. It was kind of like a headache, some body chills, little fever. Okay. And I would say it lasted about three days where it was kind of pretty prominent. Mm-hmm. And then days four or five, by day five, we were probably pretty much out of it. Hmm. And then just a little bit of a, a, a cough that lingered for another four or five days. Right. Just some phlegm. Okay. Other so you, than that, it was pretty good. You tested positive at a clinic? Well, we took the kids into the hospital because the the little one, she was only four weeks old at the time, mm-hmm. and her fever was just over 38 degrees, which when you're that age, they want to check for mm-hmm. other stuff. Right. And just make sure it's not some other kind of thing that might be going on that mm-hmm. sometimes newborns can get. Okay. So we took her in for that, and then they... The funny thing was, we told... 
let me just uh, turn this volume off here. Sure. We told the uh, the hospital what the symptoms kind of my wife and I had been feeling. Mm-hmm. They never tested us. Really? They tested the two kids, uh-huh. but they never tested my wife and I, even though we told them the symptoms that we were dealing with, which were kind of cold-like, sure. borderline flu-like symptoms. Okay. But huh. maybe they were just like, well, we'll test the kids, and if they're positive, the, then the adults are going to have to quarantine for 10 days anyways right. with the kids. So, so you never actually... Know. Tested positive for sure. You just assumed because the kids had it. And you it felt seemed like pretty shit. reasonable right. to assume that that uh, we had it when <laughs> right. they called us uh, the day after. So we went in Saturday night. They called us on the Monday. We mm. got home at like five a.m. Sunday morning. Okay. Then they called us on the Monday. Said the kids tested positive, mm. but it was a little surprising to me that they never tested us uh, when we were there and told them. I know. The symptoms we were experiencing. So, wouldn't they want to get the case counts up? I mean, the only thing I can think of was they just weren't thinking about us, like they weren't focused on us. Sure. Conspiratorially, you might say it's because they want cases in kids to rise more than cases mm. in adults, so right. they can say that it's a danger to kids uh, or use that mm. more so. But mm. I would say it's probably they just overlooked testing us in in, in the moment, and mm. they were just more like making sure the kids were good and right. which they were the fever by the time we left the fevers were back under you know oh, okay and they're they're pretty much at a normal level again so hmm. it's funny you say conspiratorially could be this i was on the conspiracy train for a while with covid and now i'm just i'm off it i i don't think i don't think there's a grand narrative in so f- much further than just like the incompetence of the institutions i think really the the conspiratorial part is like where did it come from and why is there such an effort to cover up where it came from? Mm. That's, that's the conspiratorial stuff that I think has some merit. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a, a cabal of, <laughs> right. you know, people behind the strings pulling all the scenes and trying to orchestrate mm. everything. Right. But I think there were people that were involved in certain things that they don't want to get found out for. Mm-hmm. And, They've kind of worked with other people to make sure that information doesn't get out. Some of it is starting to trickle out now mm-hmm. as time goes on and there's more Freedom of Information Act requests and things like mm-hmm. that. So there is some information that's been coming out now and some people are going to get caught, I think. <laughs> but that's not necessarily conspiratorial. That's just kind of human nature. People are involved in things. It turns out bad. They want right. to cover up their involvement in it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's all stuff. It's after the fact, right? I, I read some article in in it was in Science. Science was the name of the website, so I trust <laughs> science.org. And it just said that as much as they've tried to find an origin for COVID, the Chinese have made it hard to even do the research there. Mm-hmm. So we may never know, and it may never even really matter. It it only matters insofar as if it did come from the laboratory, which it most likely did, then what are going to be the, what's what's the follow-up from that? Mm. If that's the case, you know, who's held accountable for the leak? There was stuff that came out years ago mm-hmm. saying like, hey, this lab is doing this kind of research. It's not really set up the safest for this kind of research. There's a high probability that something could happen. Right. And who gets held responsible for that? Do you hold the Chinese government responsible for that? Do you hold the people that are funding right. the laboratory? Because sure. they should be verifying that where they're sending their money, mm-hmm. it's a safe uh, contained facility for that type of work. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's where it, it comes out to is where do you go with, with that and how do you implement measures to make sure it doesn't happen again? Right. No, I agree. I, I just don't know that. I mean, when you say hold the Chinese, I mean, I should preface this by saying I'm not super well versed on global politics, but it doesn't seem like anybody holds the Chinese government accountable for much. No, there is actually just a, um, a video, uh, an interview with Nancy Pelosi, who's the Speaker of the House in, mm. in the United States. And she she went on for about a minute to two minutes mm-hmm. about how the Chinese government is violating human rights. Mm-hmm. They're holding uh, the, the Uyghur Muslims in concentration right. camps right. and committing atrocious human rights violations. Mm-hmm. And they're also oppressing Christians <laughs> over there as well. Mm-hmm. But that being said, climate change is a pressing issue, and we need to work with them on combating climate change. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, well, there's a lot there, for sure. Alarmism around climate change? Like, there's one other thing I want to mention first was that, and again, I, I'm really good at just parroting what I hear from American commentators, but Joe Biden went and spoke uh, at a Holocaust memorial and said never again. While, as you say, they, they are partnering with the Chinese to do certain things. Well, the Chinese are, uh, like you say, or it's well known that they're holding those Muslims in concentration camps. I guess, are they count? Do you think, I guess my question that I've come to lately is, do you think political leaders are just counting on the the, the general public not really looking deeply into the message or beyond the message? Yeah, I think a lot of politicians just think the average person is stupid. (laughs) Like, I I honestly believe that. And I think they're counting on, because here's the thing, what happens if you hold China accountable for for that? Mm -hmm. Not COVID, like put COVID to the side, but just Mm -hmm. the fact that they're holding a million people in concentration camps, Mm -hmm. harvesting organs, sterilizing women, mm-hmm. uh, forcing abortions, all these kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. What happens if you hold China accountable for that? Well, there's a couple of ways you could go about that. Economic sanctions. Sure. You could force American companies to bring all their manufacturing back to America and not do business there, mm-hmm. which is going to cause prices to go up somewhat. Mm-hmm. I think they're banking on most people would rather pay a lower price for something than say, no, we're not buying stuff from China anymore. Mm-hmm. Get out of there. Right. We're, we'll pay more money for our product mm-hmm. to not do business with people that do that. I think they're banking on people's level of comfort right. and consumerism. Right. And I often wondered, like, I wondered this and then I saw that someone said, well, this isn't the case, but all that manufacturing that got sent to China in, in the 80s or wherever that was, the 70s and 80s, I guess, was that like a long-term play in the on the part of the Chinese saying... Sure, send us all your manufacturing because then you become completely dependent on us for your way of life. I think it was totally. You know, they, the government of China has a desire to be the mm-hmm. superpower right. in, in the globe. Right. And so they've been long playing it because mm-hmm. I think they also feel that over time America will kind of corrupt itself mm-hmm. from the inside and they'll just naturally assume. The world leadership right you know if you look at a lot of stuff that's going on in, in the states with just a lot of issues and you know the demasculinization of men mm-hmm. and stuff like that well mm-hmm. china is putting in stuff to 
make their young men more masculine. Yeah. Because I think they maybe feel at some point there may be a kinetic conflict that arises. Hmm. And so they want the strongest, most able army hmm. possible. There's a thing called uh, Thucydides' trap. Okay. And it's as another world power starts growing, mm -hmm. the current dominant world power mm -hmm. starts to feel threatened. Okay. And conflict usually becomes inevitable between them at some point. You know, you've got the dominant power and another mm -hmm. one's pushing up to become that dominant power. Right. Well, that current dominant power doesn't want to just give up no. that spot. And <laughs> unless you can get them to destroy themselves on their own, mm -hmm. usually conflict of some type ar arises. Right. And when you said kinetic conflict, you mean like physical war or warfare? Mm -hmm. Like boots on the ground? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw something about the Chinese government. Was it a law they passed or just public policy that they're working on, but like no sissy men, like no effeminate men? Or they're working to get that out of the culture? Yeah, they're they're implementing, um, I think they called it masculinity courses in wow. schools. Mm -hmm. We're talking like junior high, high schools. Right. Um, <laughs> to help boys learn how to be more rugged and right. rough and tumble and that kind of thing. Hmm. And they also, an interesting thing is they, they've um, banned predominantly video game playing. Really? So now, I, if I remember correctly, it's one hour during the week and mm -hmm. two hours on the weekend Wow! that you can play video games. Mm -hmm. And other than that, it's not allowed. Now, I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea. I mean, it's, it's beneficial mm -hmm. in the long run because it's going to force kids to what? Use their imagination, go outside sure. and play, build things, yep. you know, do more physical activity. I guess, you know, for, for us here, it's like, well, does the government or should the government have that right to impose that? Or should it be the parents' responsibility to moderate and limit their, their child's mm -hmm. you know, video game playing? And something tells me you'd be more in favor of doing it on the family level? I, I would. You know, I think... What happens with kids is at the end of the day, the buck stops with the parent. Mm. Sometimes you get kids that great parents, mm -hmm. they did everything, you know, pretty much right. Mm -hmm. And the kid still goes, you know, off the rails. Right. It happens sometimes. But predominantly when you have parents that create structure, mm -hmm. that enforce discipline, I'm not meaning just like physical discipline, mm -hmm. but like there's consequences to your actions. Right. They instill uh, the spirit of responsibility and work ethic. Mm -hmm. You know, you get kids that grow up to be contributing members of society. Right. And I don't think that's the school's role to teach them that. School, I think, can help kids learn social skills. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, their, their basics, reading, writing, mm -hmm. you know, or arithmetic, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's not the school's job to implement those values and virtues into the, the kids. I right. think if the teachers themselves hold those, that can be beneficial. Yep. But it's not the school's job to teach those things to kids. It's the, it's the family unit, I think. No, fair enough. And who knows if, if those values, those virtues are even part of the interview process when hiring a teacher. I don't know. But I mean, I remember having some teachers that were great and some that were horrific. You, you, you know, you get a mixed bag. I mean, for me, I homeschooled for a lot of years. <laughs> right. So, right. you know, I went to school until grade four. Mm -hmm. And then the teacher that I was going to have in grade five 
was the same teacher I had in grade four. He just got moved up a grade. Mm. And he was a, a horrendous teacher. Okay. He was terrible. He would show up to school. He was very, very unhealthy, we'll say. Mm, okay. He would show up with shirts that were too small, his stomach hanging way out of his shirts. He would bring his wife in to teach arts and crafts, and they would get into arguments in front of the class. So <laughs> there's about six or seven of us in, in wow. the class that's parents were like, nope, pulling you out. Wow. So it was just supposed to be for a year. Mm-hmm. But then... Uh, towards the end of that year, my dad ended up getting cancer. Okay. And it was just easier to stay homeschooling and be able to help around. You know, we had a little farm and stuff right. like that. So it was easier just to stay home and be able to help out in that way. So I ended up doing that until grade 11 and then went to public school for grade 12, graduated and okay. kind of moved on. But I thought it was great. I loved it. <laughs> so who taught you at, at homeschool? Uh, well, my mom taught me up to a certain age and mm-hmm. then... I started doing it online. Oh. So it would be the same curriculum that they were oh, okay. following at the school. Mm-hmm. I would just do it online and then do a weekly video call mm-hmm. with the teacher. And they would kind of teach your, your stuff. And then you'd go the next week doing assignments and hmm. implementing what they taught. Now, are you looking to do the same thing with your kids? Uh, most likely. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny, man, that like I'd say the general public or the public at large, whatever – has suspicions about people at homeschool, you know? And I've heard like, oh, kid, like you said, school does teach social skills for sure. And so there, but there's other ways to socialize your kids. It seems to me that like, I think we talked about this last time, but like public school is really good at like just making you ready for the work world in the sense of being like an employee, you know, a cog in the wheel. Not even anymore because now you can't get a zero like if you hand in a blank right. test, they can't even give you a zero. They still have to pass you. That was actually one of the things in um, I went through the agenda for the UCP General Assembly that's coming up in November. Mm. And I was going through the different points that they were considering discussing. And one of it was uh, enacting a law that said teachers can't be reprimanded for handing out zeros for Oof. incomplete work. Yeah, I was like, perfect. Because one of the things that schools are doing now... <laughs> It's almost like it slid into it by accident right. is they're not preparing kids for the work world anymore, right? You think mm. you go to your employer and he's like, hey, I need you to do that. I need you to take all those rocks from over there mm. and I need you to move them over there. Mm. And he comes in the next day and you've done half of it. Mm. And he goes, you're not done. It's like, well, I, you know, I did half. Like, <laughs> did isn't that best. good enough? Yeah. He's going to be like, get out of here. You're fired. <laughs> Right? Right. So when you learn that you can get away with not completing your work, mm. it doesn't really prepare you for the real world because in the real world, that's not going to stand up. So then where's the logic behind the no zero? Like what, what could we possibly hope to impress upon children by? I don't even know what their goal was. It was, I think part of it had to do with the, they felt it hurt kids' self-esteem. I mean, yeah, but does okay, fair enough. I think you need some of that though. Like, you need I, to be humiliated in, in life because you you learn that oh that wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. I should maybe you know there's a there's a couple of good books that talk about stuff like like this. There's a book called Mindset by mm-hmm. uh, Carol S. Dweck, and she talks about parents instilling um, a mindset into their children mm. that. Failure, it's not whether you fail or succeed at something. Mm-hmm. It's do you learn from the process? Mm-hmm. And you know what happens is a lot of kids are, are 
good at some things naturally when they're younger. Mm-hmm. And so what happens to them is they, if they're not guided correctly, they'll navigate to the things that they're just naturally good at. Mm. But if they're good at it early on, they tend to get a lot of praise okay. for that. A lot of reinforcement, like, Oh, you're so good at that. Right. Oh, you're just so natural at that. Mm-hmm. So what that tends to teach them is, well, I should only do things that get me this result. So they'd never venture into areas where they're, they could potentially fail mm. or not succeed. And you'll see this with a lot of kids in sports mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe played in a small town right. and they were just like very good in their small town. They go to a bigger center with higher level teams mm-hmm. and sometimes they struggle and they end up quitting because it's hard hmm. and they've never had to actually work hard right. to succeed. So they don't know how to like deal with failure. Hmm. And so I think part of that has taught kids or not taught kids how to deal with failure. And so when they come up against it, they on, only do things within their wheelhouse right. of natural ability. And then they'll come up with excuses like, well, I never tried that because I didn't really want to, even right. though maybe they did, but they didn't want to fail. Right. The fear of failure was too great for them to attempt. Hmm. When you really, you think you should be failing constantly as a kid because you have the safety net of home and, and, and of just being a kid mm-hmm. where failure is acceptable. Totally. And totally. then, right. And then you're led and then, okay. So then you start failing later in life for the first time and it's, it's really not good. Yeah. Cause you've never learned how to properly process the emotions of mm-hmm. failure. The, Oh, that was, that, that hurt. I right. didn't like that. And you never were taught Hey, that's okay. Like that's a normal, those are normal feelings to Mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. That's a normal part of trying to get better at something and, and just teaching kids, like instilling that, that discipline of, Hey, maybe I wasn't good at at that time, but if I practice harder, if I, if I, you know, try out different techniques and I put in the time and effort, Mm -hmm. I can do better the next time. Right. Now what you're talking about, in some ways it sounds sort of like a traditional approach you know a tr- traditional values let's say and that goes hand in hand with a lot of other things that i know are important to you do you think that maybe the the let's say the assault on traditional values is maybe that could be included in this no zero where it's like we're just protecting people from ultimately what it is it's protecting people from the reality of of what life is i think and if we take away and i'll say traditional values are things like let's say uh, business ownership, uh, family lifestyle. You you help me out here. Gun ownership, whatever it may be. Yeah, the, the nuclear family is a big one. Um, there's a there's a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, mm. and it's it's a very good book. And they did a lot of research in into children and and why we're getting you know some of the things we're getting in young right. adults today. And there's a, an interesting a few interesting things that they found one was you could there was a clear split between uh outrage culture okay it was around 2013 when that started really increasing and it parallels with the kids that were born in the kind of early to mid 90s okay and that's because they started going to universities mm. around then. So right. all these kids that grew up with social media at their fingertips mm-hmm. from a young age are now going to university. And it's not necessarily like they're not saying this is the cause, 
but there is a corresponding, mm-hmm. you know, um, data that shows the kids that grew up with social media from a young age, mm-hmm. when they entered universities, outrage culture just kind of took off that kind of, I guess, woke culture, if, right. if, if you want to yep. say that. And, um, universities have started the, per- what was the purpose of universities? Good question. That's like a, it's a medieval thing almost, isn't it? Well, it was it was higher learning, sure, to create at least back in the day, right. better men. Okay, it was only wealthy families that could go. Okay, and it was to continue on that heritage mm-hmm. of being, you know, the elite, if you will, right, of, of that society. So, as it's kind of morphed and evolved, well, it was a, it was still a place for higher learning, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that people could improve their, their life situation. Maybe, you know, do better than their parents' generation right. and keep progressing their family forward. Mm-hmm. And there is a shift in there. And they talk about this in that book mm-hmm. where universities stopped looking at their primary goal was to educate and equip young people right. to viewing young people as customers. Oof. So that's why you start seeing all these, you know, lazy rivers and pools and all these fun things that <laughs> right. they're building into these universities now right. is because they want to attract as many customers to attend there as possible. Right. Because their primary goal isn't higher learning anymore. It's profit. Profit. Let's make money. So how do you do that? You get more customers to come to your business. Right. So that, that that to me again is the same thing. It's like the, the traditional value or the original purpose of something there was forgotten or usurped. I just wonder when all this, if all this just started happening or if it's always been human tendency to, I mean, we need to create value, like profit's mm-hmm. a driving factor for everything, but like things became institutionalized, like prisons in the United States, for instance. Higher learning in North America is an example. I think it's been a, a progressive thing. I mean, you look at the pinnacle of, you know, the U.S. or Canada, you know, maybe in the 50s or 60s, you know, as far as economically and, right. and kind of global power. And I think from there, as other countries started catching up, complacency kind of sets in. Okay. You get comfortable with the status quo and you stop instilling that drive. Hmm in the next generation. And so they just kind of, they were handed a lot of things. Right. So I think that hunger starts mm. to wane over generations, you know, places where people come from, where it's, you know, third world country, mm. they're very poor, right? They're struggling just to find food to feed their family. Mm. A lot of times when those people come here, they do very well because there's opportunities here for people that want to grab and seize them. Right. And they have more hunger and drive than people that were born here that are third, fourth, fifth, sixth generation Canadian or American mm-hmm. because we've had it very easy right. for a long time. So that, that hunger isn't there to, to strive and succeed because you don't have to. You can be status quo. You can just be average, same old, same old, mm-hmm. and still provide for your family and still live a decent life. Right. Now, do you, we talked, you talked a little bit about this earlier, about this, the, uh, the demasculization, demasculinization or the effeminization of men that we're seeing. That to me also goes hand in hand with what you're talking about, this sort of laziness, this, uh, 
okay with being average, the status quo. Like you're aware that testosterone levels in men are dropping year over year for forever. I mean, I always think about look at the way hockey was played in the '70s versus how it's played now. Like they're talking about taking fighting out of the game of hockey. Yeah, or, that or, was. I, um, it's a good thing I grew up when I did because that was an integral part of my game because I didn't have the highest <laughs> skill level. So okay, okay. if I didn't fight, I didn't make the teams. There you go. <laughs> but, you know, I think you're right about testosterone. There was, um, I think there was a lady on Joe Rogan. I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but it was something like testosterone is having in men, mm-hmm. like getting cut in half in men every like 12 or 15 years or something like that. It was it was some uh, crazy number and um, she it was very like I was watching this, I'm like well that's crazy that makes sense mm-hmm. and and you see a lot of guys that are just soft and squishy and <laughs> and just like oh do that's whatever we want to do like yeah I don't want to leave my cubicle or my house like there's just that spirit I'm I'm rereading a book right now I read it probably eight years ago or so when okay. I was much younger and I'm re-going through it right now. It's mm. called Wild at Heart. Okay. And it's about instilling that spirit of adventure and masculinity in men okay. and that it's okay to feel like, hey, I want to go like right. do stereotypical guy stuff and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Like, I want to go work on a car. I want to mm-hmm. go climb a mountain. I want to go right. hunting. I want to do these things. And he talks about you know, men want um, an adventure to, to live, mm-hmm. a battle to fight, and mm-hmm. a beauty to rescue. And I know that sure. comes off really poorly with a lot yep. of people nowadays, but he doesn't mean like women need to be rescued by a man because they're incapable or incompetent. Mm-hmm. He means men want to feel like they are providing something for a woman and giving her some sense of security sure and and you know a lot of that can be done in partnership together mm-hmm. but men want to feel like hey I'm, I'm i'm i can take care of her right if, if i need to and and uh, it's a primal drive that men yes. have and he actually puts a lot of blame on the modern church the church which i completely agree with <laughs> okay because Please. if you look at the church over the last several decades, right? Look who leads most churches: the pastors, mm-hmm. the deacons, the priests, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Not usually the epitome of a masculine man. Mm. Usually, pretty mild-mannered, <laughs> meek, okay. soft-spoken, genteel. So we've the church is kind of, whether knowingly or unknowingly told young men this is the pinnacle of what a good man is a good man is a passive nice guy Mm. and i think that's neutered the adventurous spirit in a lot of men because they feel like well if this is what i'm supposed to uh strive to be like just a nice guy doesn't cause problems doesn't swear (laughs) doesn't drink right never has a you know a temper is just very like Hey Frank, how are you doing today? <laughs> and just that fake smile, that facade, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what the church has unwittingly said. This is what you should strive to be like. And I think it's done a lot of damage mm. to men within the church in just like pacifying them. Well, and the whole talking about the Christian church, I, I guess at least is like you're subservient to another 
to a greater being that you have no control over or no real you have a relationship with and he's done everything for you essentially mm-hmm. what does that do to someone psychologically to say you are actually not in control of your own destiny i i don't mind if people believe in in, in whatever they want to believe in that's fine but you got to be a little bit critical and think about oh like I think what you're saying is right. Yes, the image of masculinity there is like neutered, but also it's like the whole personal agency is is removed. Well, you still have personal agency, right? Like mm-hmm. if I want to, I can take this phone and throw it at your head. So that you're would be a choice that, yeah. that, that yeah. I made. That right. would be a bad choice, but yeah. you could make that choice. So, sure. I mean, we still have the control of our mental faculties to make right. decisions. And to me, I look at it as, well, what did Jesus teach? What are the principles that he taught and he lived out? Right. And so that's what I kind of ascribe to to try to be like. You know, I mm. fail all the time. Sure. But just living a life where you treat people with respect. Right. Um, you're not condemning, criticizing in, in that sense. Like you, I think one of the issues is people think you can't hold two beliefs simultaneously anymore. So That's you can have problem. your personal beliefs about yep. stuff, but still also believe that you should treat everyone with kindness and respect. Mm-hmm. But people seem to think that you can't do that anymore. Right. You either have to be a total pushover or you're, or you're a total asshole, right? It's like, mm-hmm. that's a great point you make. And that's a real sign of, I think they say it's a sign of maturity, but I think it's just a sign of intelligence maybe or, or just critical thinking that to be able to hold two uh, opposing factors or opposing ideas at once and just know that my idea is somewhere in between or my belief or, or my belief doesn't even matter because these are ideas that are that are foreign to me you know or even just like hey i believe this thing mm-hmm. but if someone doesn't believe that thing or mm-hmm. doesn't live their life in a way that i believe is more correct mm-hmm. i'm not going to treat them Right. like a bag of garbage. Right. I'm still going to treat them with respect mm-hmm. and kindness. I'm not going to get in their face and be like, you're wrong for how you... No, right. that's not what it's it's about. It's like, hey, I have certain beliefs. You have right. certain beliefs. Right. I'm not going to treat you like a bad person or I'm not going to ostracize you mm-hmm. because you don't live in the way that my beliefs line up. Right. That's not what I think we're, we're, we're called to do. We're called to live... You know, in, in, in the Bible it says to, to live like Jesus did. Right. And so... What did he do? He went to the poor. Mm-hmm. He went to the wicked people of that generation. Mm-hmm. You know, the tax collectors who were looked down upon. <laughs> right. The the thieves. Mm-hmm. He went to the prostitutes and, and 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 had supper with them. Right. And he talked to them because, you know, there's a a, a verse in the Bible that says the the well have no need of a doctor. Mm. Right. So he sure. went to people that needed were the help. struggling. Yeah. And he didn't judge them. He offered them hope. And love and compassion. Mm-hmm. So like that's kind of what I see for Christians, how we should be living our life. And Christians didn't live that way for a long time. And I think that's where you get a lot of the, rightfully so, the opinions about how Christians are and that they're right. just judgmental and, <laughs> and, and that kind of stuff, which mm-hmm. there are Christians that still are, are that way. Mm-hmm. But that's where I go. I can believe certain things, but still believe that people should be treated with respect and kindness. Right. And so you can synthesize a point of view from the religious teachings and from your own personal beliefs and still not feel like you're betraying either one of them. Yeah. And and the other thing too, is like 
if you attack someone for the way they live because it doesn't match with what how you believe people should live, right? Well, that would be like you and I are having a debate, <laughs> and I smack you, right? Well, are you thinking about like, am I going to win that debate now? No, because you're only, you're only thinking that I just smacked you, right? So now you're like, well, this guy's an asshole. <laughs> I don't. I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not going to listen to another thing he says. Mm-hmm. He can keep blabbing and blabbing all he right. wants. I'm not going to listen to a thing he says. I'm not going to agree with anything he says right. because you're upset about the smack you just got. Right. So I was like, if you attack someone for the way they live, they're not going to listen to anything else you say because they're like, oh, you personally attacked me because of how I live or what I've done. I'm not going to listen to what you say because right. you didn't come to them as a, a person genuine. You just right. came to condemn and be holier than thou. Right. You, you didn't come from a place of respect or or you, you broke the rules of engagement essentially of, of being a, a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's... A friend of mine was we were talking last night and he was talking about how there seems to be a real obsession these days with controlling others. Like there's moral grandstanding or there's on the part of the politicians are becoming tyrannical. I wonder how much of that comes from a lack of self-control within. I'm no psychologist, but I, I wonder if, if what he said to me was, I've never lost control of myself so much so that I had to start trying to control the external world. But I, I, I anyway, I'd like to just hear what you, if that did anything for you. We should get Jordan Peterson on here <laughs> talking about the psychological aspect of it. Yeah, I wish. You know, with the politicians, it's, it's a tough one to say because I think there are people that genuinely get involved in politics because they want to make a difference. They want to mm-hmm. improve their community. Uh, then I think there are people that view it as, hey, I can just say things that people want to hear mm-hmm. and I can get a nice salary and a <laughs> lifelong pension. I think there are those people too. Mm. And they don't really have an interest in doing good no. or helping. They're just like, hey, I can collect a sweet paycheck. Right. And then there are people that maybe want to, create change not just in their community but they want to push you know certain certain agendas mm-hmm. and the need to control people it's a tough one I, I don't know why there is such a you know some people feel such a need to control others you know even with the the whole uh vaccine thing that's going on mm-hmm. i heard someone say that a lot of the people that were vaccinated are so angry about people that aren't vaccinated mm-hmm. because they feel like, well, I did it, so you should have to too. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like in, in, in sports, right? When you make the team run lines, mm-hmm. but you tell two of them they don't have to because they didn't mess up the drill. Mm. The rest of the team is like, I hate those people right now. Right. It's like, you should have to run lines with the rest of us. Yeah. Right, so there's a, it's a problem with like unity almost. It's like, and oftentimes people preach politicians on the left or, or the right even preach this idea of unity, but then they're dividing along any any lines they get. I mean, there's just for Trudeau, there will be consequences. Right. Sounds sounds there like you're maybe consequences. like you're maybe um, inciting people to take actions against unvaccinated people. It's 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 treading that that fine line Mm -hmm. of hey we need to get everyone vaccinated and hey you should do things to bully or potentially physically bully people into getting vaccinated if need be Mm -hmm. but then he can go hands off and say well i never said i just said there would be consequences for not getting vaccinated you'll get sick right like he could play it off well let's go there then i'm here's my take on it i'm i am vaccinated my girlfriend's vaccinated 
I, I believe that if you want to get vaccinated, you should. I do not believe the government should mandate people to get vaccinated. That's why it was so hard to vote in this election, because every major party was in favor of vaccine mandates. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're, you probably have some words to say on that, and you should go ahead, but it's... Well, I guess just to finish the thought, I don't believe that this is the thing that ends us as a race, but this is a step down that road where the government is mandating... And suddenly now my personal health choice is like very public. I have employers calling me, you need to be vaccinated to work the game tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, let me just reveal to you my vaccination status. Well, the other thing that's interesting too is what if someone can't get vaccinated because of an underlying health condition? Now you have to tell people... That you have an underlying health condition? That prevents you. And then the other thing is some of those people aren't going to believe you. <laughs> right, right. And so then you have to prove... That you're diabetic, or I don't, I don't know what the conditions would be. It would be like an immunal issue, or there could be multiple things. Like some people that have had previous adverse reactions to vaccines. Okay. Some of their doctors are saying, like, well, you had this pretty bad reaction before, mm-hmm. so you might want to just sit this one out for a while. Maybe down the road you can look at it, okay. but until we have more data on what types of adverse reactions are, are typical, right? You, know, you might want to sit this out. Um, multiple sclerosis there's some people oh. that have multiple sclerosis whose doctors have told them you can't get vaccinated right now okay some people with cancers that they're saying you can't get vaccinated right now because it's gonna hmm. be too hard on your body so there's a, a myriad of, of different reasons why someone hmm. couldn't be vaccinated due to medical uh conditions but you know you talked about this desire to like control people and, mm-hmm. and that you don't think this is what ends the human race or our race. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, like, I tell this to people when we're having conversations. Because you can, like, I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of research. Mm-hmm. I, I watch a lot of different podcasts, both from right-sided thinking people, left-sided thinking people, mm-hmm. centrist, because I want to know what everybody's saying and right. what information they're talking about. Yep. Because I think if you're only getting information from your little bubble, then you, you, you get that... Um, What's that? It's the echo chamber. The, right? It's the echo chamber, and it's that uh, bias where it's like confirmation. Oh, confirmation bias. bias. Yeah. Where you're just hearing things that you agree with. Right. So I like to hear stuff from people on the left. Um, you know, breaking points, formerly called you know, they're the hill. Sure. Yeah. Hosts. You know, Jimmy Dore, like people like that. Mm-hmm. I like to. You know, I'll even listen to stuff from the Young Turks just to know, like, hey, what are they saying? What are they talking right. about? Right. Uh, there's a guy named Vosh, uh, who's a YouTuber from the states. So. You know, I like to listen to people just because sometimes I'll be like, oh, that kind of makes sense. I kind of agree with that. And they might be pretty far left person, but I'm mm-hmm. like, I kind of agree with what, you know, how they explain that. Right. So it, it, it's good to, to get a well-rounded viewpoint of, of what people think and what's going on out there. So I tell this to people. I don't think the people doing these things are doing it maliciously. Right. Or I don't think they have some nefarious... <laughs> intention behind it yeah i think there is a predisposition in people where you can grab control you grab it yeah yeah so i think especially in politicians because what's part of the aim of politicians is to control the country and what's going on Mm -hmm. right so i think for politicians maybe even more so than the regular population they see an opportunity to seize more control for the government and to centralize that control in the government's hands they're going to take it not maliciously or thinking like, oh, we're going to like ruin everyone's life, mm-hmm. but it's a natural like reaction. And I also think that 
that disposition to to want to control people mm-hmm. beyond just like being. I'm trying to think of how to like explain it, but not like because there are different tangents where you can sure. kind of go off down like. I don't think there's that grand cabal of people that are trying to do this nefarious thing. But what I tell right. people is they are creating the conditions and the system mm-hmm. that someone with nefarious intentions <laughs> could, once they get control, easily implement things that would be very detrimental to people. Right. So I don't think these are the people that are doing that. No. But the system they're implementing is one that could be easily abused in the future. Someone could make an emergency, be like, we have to do this. We've right. got word that you know this other virus is coming, or there's an imminent attack coming. Right. It could all be BS, or we've <laughs> got word that yeah. there's you know spies amongst us from other countries that are mm-hmm. trying to infiltrate us, and we have to take these precautions, and we have to implement stay-at-home measures and all these different things. Yep. We, they they now know that people will acquiesce to that, mm-hmm. and people will submit to what the government says to do. Mm-hmm. So while these people aren't nefarious in intent, the system that's being created could be used and manipulated by someone with nefarious intent to do bad things very quickly because people will get in line with what the government says. And by the time people maybe realize (laughs) that, oh, they're they're using this to do some bad stuff, Mm -hmm. it may be too late by that time. Right. Right. I, do you ever? Yeah, I guess I'm curious when you when you hear yourself saying these people or they and like I, I do it too. It's like, yeah, there's no shadow cabal, but like, who is it then? You know, like, what are these? Do you have any insight <laughs> onto who these forces are? Any of your reading or listening? Hmm. Well, I. It, it depends what you want to believe, and right. I don't know. Like, there's strings you can pull that go down, like different rabbit holes. Right. For example, why was YouTube censoring all the information about the Wuhan laboratory? People talking about it, their channels were getting banned, things were getting pulled off YouTube. Mm -hmm. Well, you find out that Google.org, which is the charitable arm of Google, Mm. Google owns YouTube, for people that don't know that, donated money to the research facility at Wuhan. Google did. Mm. Okay. So maybe there's like... They're like, well, we don't want this to come out to know that we were in, in, involved in this. Damn. Um, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation yep. donated money to that. Uh, they got money in a circulatory way from the U.S., from okay. Fauci, from the National Institute of Health, which right. he oversees. They gave the money to, oh, what the heck, I can't even think of the name of it now. But they gave the money to a, an institution who then... Oh, the NIH, was it? The, the NIH is the organization that he oversees. Oh, okay. But they gave the money to another organization who then gave the money to the okay. Wuhan Laboratory. And that's all come out through Freedom of Information Act requests mm-hmm. in emails mm-hmm. between them. Right. So who conducted the interview? Uh, so Peter Daszak is the president of that organization which right. is driving me, me nuts that i can't think of the name of it right now <laughs> google it. <laughs> let's google you give me some thoughts while i google this all right well i think a lot of what you're saying is true and i also wonder if also it's detrimental to our mental health to try and even figure it out or worry about it sometimes like it's it's very juicy and it's very desirable to try and have all the answers but lately i've just kind of been working on not 
trying to have all the answers and just <laughs> accept that it's just utter chaos and all I can do is govern my own being. But we can get there later. That one's got a paywall. No good there. Paywall. Gotta love the paywalls. This is the first video episode of the podcast, folks. Good to see you. I've just been looking and seeing that the mic stand is in front of my face for half of the episodes, so and I'm like neurotically moving it around, but we'll get there. Plenty more episodes to go, Jeff. It's all just figuring it out. Yeah, that's right. It's all just figuring it out. Before they cancel me. I don't think they will. They might try. I don't think I'm that hardcore. Well, maybe once you, uh, once your following is uh, <laughs> Eco Health Alliance. Okay. That's the one. So, Peter Daszak is uh, the president of Eco Health Alliance. Right. He was the one tasked by the WHO, the World Health Organization, to do the investigation into okay. the Wuhan laboratory. Okay. So that's kind of like if I'm in your house and I took all the cookies out of your cupboard mm-hmm. and you go, hey, did you take the cookies from my cupboard? Mm-hmm. Like, no, let me investigate. Turns <laughs> out I didn't take your cookies. <laughs> I see. So it just is it's right. odd that a company that's given lots and lots of funding to this laboratory mm-hmm. would be the one tasked to conduct the investigation into it. And from what I've seen, they were only actually allowed in there for like three hours. Oh. And they didn't get to talk to a lot of different doctors. The um, Wuhan's laboratory is required because of the the work that they do to keep listings and archives Mm -hmm. of all the work and and all the the numbers for every test that's done. Right. Well, in September, I don't remember the exact date, it was like September 12th, Mm -hmm. their archives went offline. Right. And... They came back online the next day, and there's some stuff that wasn't there anymore. Some stuff missing. And if you look back <laughs> in September, there was the World Military Games okay. in Wuhan. Right. And a bunch of athletes on the travels home reported being sick. Hmm. So we know that corona actually started happening in September. Okay. And not in December, like... It was kind of initially led to believe mm-hmm. they knew about it back in September. So was it coincidental that people started getting sick and then their archives went offline mm. and then came back online missing some information and all these athletes were getting sick and they didn't say anything about it until, you know, they didn't really make a fuss about it until December. Right. That's that's for, uh, you know, people smarter than I to... Right. Uh, disseminate and decipher what that all means. <laughs> sure. All I know is that that's a thing that went on. Mm-hmm. But what does it mean? I don't really know. I can make, draw conclusions to mm-hmm. what it might mean, mm-hmm. but I don't have any definitive proof that that is why it happened. It could have just been a glitch in their system. Could have been. It's a possibility. Could give them the benefit of the doubt there. Hey, I, I try to, uh, you know, believe that most people aren't, acting with uh, ill intentions mm-hmm. until they prove to me that they are. Right. But, you know, there's enough things that go on that you have to question some things. Definitely do. I think, well, it's kind of, it depends how I feel when I wake up, but it's like some days you can just be like, you can explain, a, you can use incompetence and stupidity to explain most things and malice is 
you shouldn't resort to just using malice. But then you look around and it's hard not to just believe that there is some malicious conspiracy. But I guess what I would ask to you is, have there been times when you're pursuing this sort of information and you just think, I can't do this anymore. I have to stop. I have to just get on with like a hobby or like my life on a micro level. Like, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? Like, you know what I'm no. saying? No, like, so you're driven to just like keep pursuing. I like to, I like to learn and discover things. Okay. And still live your life, mm-hmm. like still enjoy your life, still do hobbies, still do, you know, whatever you want to do, obviously with the family, mm-hmm. takes up a lot of time, you know, work, businesses, mm-hmm. lots of stuff going on, but it's just something like my family has always been very like politically acclimated and mm. active. Okay. So from a young age, like we're talking, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, mm. we would have debates about political policies at our kitchen table. <laughs> so, You're I mean, wrong. there's a reason why my sister was asked in the last Alberta election to run as an MLA by three different parties. Really? So she did her undergrad in political science. Okay. She did her master's in public health policy, mm-hmm. and she's doing a doctorate now oh, along wow. that same kind of track, public health policy okay. and, and kind of consulting. And so she's doing her doctorate in that right now. So obviously, you know, we've been pretty involved right. in, in political stuff for, for quite some time. She got the law passed that banned flavored tobacco in Alberta. Oh. So she gets a lot of hate about that yeah that sucks she was in uh she was in high school when she got that passed and it was because she saw a lot of her friends i think she was 16 at the time right she saw a lot of her friends that were chewing smoking those flavored cigarillos and she's like this is terrible like these companies are marketing directed towards kids right you know this is awful and my mom was like what are you gonna do about it so she started gathering stuff she made all these displays okay that would have candies with tobacco packages mixed in hmm. to be like hey if you just kind of look at this without pulling stuff out and reading the label mm-hmm. can you tell what's a candy and what's not hmm. most people couldn't Interesting. because they designed the packaging a lot of these tobacco products to look like candy so that it was appealing for kids right because that's the game plan you get kids hooked from sure. a young age you got a lifelong customer yeah right and then she did i think uh <laughs> 15 or 16 high school tour of Alberta okay. where she had a driver, someone that was scheduling her booking hotels and she did presentations at 15 or 16 high schools. I wow. think she went to parliament in Edmonton three times, I think in Saskatchewan once. Cause they were okay. like, Hey, what are you doing over there? Right. Come tell us what you're up to. <laughs> and then over time she found an MLA that was willing to sponsor her bill mm-hmm. and eventually it got passed into law. Wow. And she was just, like, she had no official position. She was just a kid. Yeah, she was a 17-year-old. Crusading. When she did this, I was like, I don't want all my friends to get hooked on right. tobacco products and die. Well, that's probably fair. I mean, I remember those. The prime time. The, prime time. Yeah. The the chew with all the different flavors. Right, uh, right. Apple, sour apple, and <laughs> yep. cherry, and all these kinds of different things. So was it your, was it your dad who was kind of leading these political discussions, or your mom, or both? Probably both. Yeah. My dad and I had a lot of uh, political conversations. So I think part of it too is going back to the fact that he had cancer. Okay. So from so when I was 11, the summer I was 11, he had chemotherapy, bone marrow transplant, all that kind of good stuff. 
And from there until this, I was 16. Okay. The spring I turned 16, he was basically at home. Okay. Because he couldn't work. Because two years after that, he got cancer in his thyroids. Had Oof. to do radiation, have a bunch of his thyroids removed and, and all of that. So he was at home for just about five years. Okay. Uh, unable to work and he still worked with like my grandparents on their farm like mm-hmm. doing harvesting and some of our neighbors he would run tractors for them but he physically wasn't capable of like working a full-time gig okay. and he wasn't supposed to be around lots of people just because you know immunocompromised and that sure. kind of stuff at the time and so because of that and i'm homeschooling remember right so my dad and i are both home simultaneously <laughs> for five years sure so that led to a lot of really good conversations. Mm. Everything about, hey, how do you find a wife? Mm. You know, we're like 13, 14 years old. And we're talking about like, hey, how do you treat women? Right. How do you, what, you know, what kinds of things should you look for in, in, in a wife when you get older? Right. Um, how do you be a responsible person in society? Mm-hmm. You know, what should a man strive to be? Right. And so we had a lot of those conversations on top of watching, I think, every classic boxing match (laughs) that's ever been. We watched a lot of the classic boxing channel. It was terrific. And then we talked a lot about politics and stuff like that. So that experience gave me a lot of interface time with my dad Mm -hmm. to talk about issues, get feedback, Mm -hmm. and kind of curated that interest right. and that desire in me to just like ask questions to try to be as informed as possible okay and that's kind of where i am now is i just have that drive to just i want to know things i want to understand why people do certain things right. i want to understand what happened not just like what the media said happened but well can we find other corroborating sources or right. is the media all just conflicting with itself and not really agreeing what happened for example when the u.s did that drone strike right. after the attack in Afghanistan that killed 13 or 14 U.S. soldiers. <laughs> yeah. And they did that drone strike that killed uh, 10 ISIS-K members. Or so they said. Or so they said. All the media, U.S. successful drone strike, 10 right. ISIS-K. Mm-hmm. Then the the head of the Department of Defense is getting questioned by a senator. And he asked him, so do you know that it was... 10 ISIS K members. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, we're working to verify that information as <laughs> to the um, uh, persons that were um, killed in that strike. And right. he's just like, shouldn't you have verified that before sending in a predator drone? But no, they just, no. I, I think I, and I believe this, I think they felt they could do that mm-hmm. and get away with it. And the media would be like, right. got to strike on ISIS-K and push them back. And people would just, because the U.S. soldiers just got killed, people wouldn't look any deeper right. into it. They would just take the victory there. They would take the victory and be like, we got them back, those suckers. Right. Then that one dude who was in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. props to that dude, Evan, I don't remember his last name. His first name was Evan. Okay. Went through the city mm-hmm. to the neighborhood as a white dude. Wow. And found the neighbors and the remaining family and interviewed them, got them to share uh, video surveillance of mm. surveillance cameras that were around the neighborhood. And he's the one that blew the lid off the whole thing. Wow. 
And it was that they, they killed an American civilian, didn't they? Or an American government Well, he was worker? working for an American NGO. So it's okay. a California NGO that does aid in mm. Afghanistan. They provide nutrition, uh, clean water, mm-hmm. um, health and like first aid materials to people. And so he has worked for them for 14 years. Okay. So he was the one that they were eyeing, that they were targeting. Right. Because they said he had explosives in his car. Wow. Well, video surveillance shows that those explosives were jugs of water Oof. that he was taking to people that needed it. Right. So they hit him. Holy shit. Killed two other adults and seven children under the age of 12. Right. And I think they felt because that was their victory that people wouldn't dig into it and they could right. get away with it. So where do you go from there? You know, <laughs> like, do you support? Or I shouldn't say that, but. You can ask. <laughs> we're we're uh, open books. <laughs> I know on I this guess podcast. Just, when you hear things like that, it's like, do, like where does that put you? Like when I hear things like that, I just it just reinforces what I believe already that most of what goes on politically and in you know yeah truly what goes on politically on the on the world stage is is a farce. It's a sham. It's like a lot of like uh, incompetent people just kind of. And what results is human suffering. And I think it is that striving for control of people. And whatever you want to say about why they're in the Middle East to begin with. N- nothing nothing good has, has come of that. You know, and I realize that sounds very, it's naive in some sense. But really, what good has come of that? That, that American imperialism. Not, not a whole lot of good, you know, has come from it at the end of the day. I think there's a lot of soldiers. That's why you get a lot of soldiers speaking out against it now. Right. Because they went there thinking, hey, we're going to do this good stuff. We're going to help this country get on its feet. We're going to help them bring in democracy. And it's going right. to be great. Right. And then they found out through the terms of their service, coming out and seeing from a bird's eye view outside of it what's going on. And mm-hmm. like, this is nonsense. Why are we there? This isn't doing right. anything that we want to do. Interestingly, with Afghanistan, what's their biggest export? Opium. Opium. Who is a very large producer of opium? China. Right. So is there a level of the U.S. government wanted to have control over Afghanistan to control the opium exports so that they weren't going to China making them more powerful? Potentially. I I don't know the answer to that. But I mean, that may not be a thing, but... It also could be a thing that wouldn't be surprising because we know governments try to control things Mm. to prevent other governments from controlling them and making them stronger. So it would be unsurprising if that was an underlying motive. And then you look at the military industrial complex. Yep. All the generals that leave the military Mm -hmm. go get jobs at Raytheon and places (laughs) like that. Right. They just want to keep continuing that for because they're making bank right. off of it. There's no benefit to them by not continuing on the wars. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the generals know like, hey, if we can continue this on, when I decide to retire, there's a nice seven-figure job waiting for me at one of these companies because, hey, I scratched their back, kept this right. going for them. They're going to take care of me once I leave the military. Right. And that comes down to not... It's, it's not the shadow government necessarily. Like people talk about the shadow government sure. or the dark government. Mm-hmm. It's the permanent government. 
It's people that are in positions of power mm -hmm. that are unelected. Right. That have a lot of control and sway over what happens policy-wise, foreign policy-wise, uh, financial policy. Mm -hmm. But they're unelected people, but they have a lot of influence and power over what happens. And a lot of those people can leave the government after scratching a few backs of some powerful companies and step right. into very high paying jobs in the private sector afterward. So it's the permanent government that causes a lot of issues in, in, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And, and the elected politicians do go along with a lot of it. Here's an example for you. I was having lunch with a customer out by Vagreville. Okay. They do a lot of construction, oil site work, um, residential and commercial land development mm -hmm. They were bidding on a job to uh, reclaim orphan wells. Okay. And they were bidding as about 50 grand a job. All right. They lost the contract to a company that was bidding 70 grand a well. Hmm. I said, how the heck does that happen? So the owner started asking questions, kept digging, kept digging, finds out that there's a main approver mm -hmm. within the, the government that mm -hmm. approves this stuff, finds out they're making a 20 grand a well because the one company bid 70. Mm -hmm. Well, they get paid 70, but then they're sliding 20 of it to right. this person in government wow. for handing them the contract. Wow. That's in Lillow, Alberta by, right. by Vagerville. Right. Now, so if people don't think that same thing carries on to the higher levels when we're talking millions and billions of dollars mm -hmm. of cash moving around, I think that might be naive to think it doesn't happen. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you're totally right. So what that what I like to think about was when we even think about big concepts like that, politics, society at large, it all it does boil down to the human individual operating on personal or personal principles, let's say, or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Is it greed? Is it power? Is it is it just? Or I often think about people who've been traumatized, or we've all had things happen to us that affect how we act in the present. It's just crazy when one person's decisions can have these million or billion dollar uh, repercussions that affect so many others. But I think if we look at it at the on the on the human level, it's it's not that hard to understand, and it's not that surprising. Like I'm never no. surprised. No, I mean there's people that are just genuinely narcissist power grabbers right. they just want as much as they can get and they don't care what you know how much it hurts other people they right. just want to have the most power and money that they can possibly attain mm -hmm. there's other people that maybe they um were i don't want to say not believed in by the parents but like their parents were actively telling them they wouldn't hmm. amount to anything sure or they had people in their <laughs> life that they admired and wanted approval from right. that told them that they're a loser Right. They weren't going to be anything in their life. And now they, they want to grab as much power almost as like a, like seeking approval from these people that mm. never gave it to them to begin with. And it can cause people sometimes to do things that they would have normally never thought of doing, but mm. they have this drive to get power, like approval from people who are willing to do things mm -hmm. to be like, look at me now, look how much I've accomplished regardless of how they got there. Mm -hmm. Are you proud of me now? That's a big thing with people right. that, that get kind of crapped on by adults or people in their life that they respect and admire and want that respect returned. Hmm. 
and and so much of that can happen at a young age or a developmental age and it it never gets dealt with you know and it just leads to what we see today isn't that crazy to th- like you you know you hear Joe Rogan say oh if we could just all get on mushrooms you know if we could all just have like the big global psychedelic revolution then mm-hmm. things would ha- things would change but i do think that nothing will ever change until we rethink what it means to be human because i mean none of this is really a surprise no i mean and humans are tribal even go mm-hmm. back like when we were actual tribes and mm-hmm. there was no cities or collections of people right you looked out for your tribe and even within there, there was in-tribe fighting that would happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think that's a natural part of like being a family in a sense. Mm, sure. You're going to have infighting. Hockey teams I've been on had fist fights in practice between teammates. <laughs> sometimes it happens. You lose your temper with a family member, a teammate, right. things boil over. Mm-hmm. I think it's a natural part just about being human. But now we've got to this point where it's like we can't even like – tribes are getting so divided and we can't even like interact with other tribes mm. which isn't that dissimilar to how it was way back i mean you had tribes i'm talking like thousands of years ago mm-hmm. when we were just like wandering you interact with another tribe you might fight to the death with them because you're like that you want their resources right to help you survive and i don't know if we've ever fully grown out of that i, I don't think, think so i think we went through a time where we were more collectivist and we were like, hey, let's all get on the same page. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially coming out of World War II, a lot of countries sure. were like, let's make our country great. Like, let's, let's you know, build enterprise and, right. and let's, you know, create a strong economy and, and just make this awesome for mm-hmm. everyone. And now we're kind of almost reverting back to almost that more primal, like, tribe-like Definitely. Uh, actions that we used to do and it's now like you can't trust anyone that's outside your tribe and Mm -hmm. you almost can't like say anything obviously we're different because we interact with people all the time Mm -hmm. but you almost can't like say what you believe Mm -hmm. for fear of people finding out what tribe you're in and then like coming after you about it i agree and that's why i think the vaccine the vaccine the vaccine thing is very dangerous because now it's like it's making a very hard it's it's tribal but it's also it's like it's one or the other now which to me is almost more dangerous because now the teams are pretty big and there's a lot at stake or so we're led to believe mm-hmm. don't don't like to me that's the problem it's and and i guess the real problem is that they're using public health as like the, the political football to or or the religious substitute to make you feel like you have to do one thing or the other mm-hmm. so the interesting thing with 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 some of what's going on with that alberta used the Public Health Emergencies Act, mm. which they can use for 90 days. Okay. After 90 days, it's supposed to go to the legislature and the MLAs are supposed to vote on extending it to mm. use it further. They'll look at the data, make an assessment of sure. what's going on and sure. then vote, yes, we should extend these the Public um, Health Act, mm-hmm. Emergency Health Act, or no, we don't think um, the situation deems that we need to continue to use these emergency uh, powers. Right. To my knowledge, that's never happened. So. Right. They've been using emergency health powers since March of 2020, Mm -hmm. which in the Alberta law, they can use for 90 days. Is that right? 
So they've wow. essentially been using them illegally mm-hmm. by Alberta law since June of last year. Right. Now, someone wants to reach out to you and, and, and correct me on that. You can let me know. But from what I've read, I've read some lawyers' papers that have written on on the, the case of like the Alberta um, okay. Constitution and Alberta law. And that seems to be the case. And I haven't seen that legislature has ever voted on that issue hmm. to extend it. So technically, they shouldn't be legally allowed to use the Emergency Health Act powers anymore without it going to... So th- the question that people need to ask themselves... Are we willing to be governed by a king or do we want to be a democracy? Because mm-hmm. right now we're being dictated to by a tiny little group of people. Yeah, who I think are proving their incompetence every day. Sure, they're getting input from different people, but mm-hmm. they're making the decision. The legislators aren't making these decisions. They're not voting on these things. No. So a lot of the Public Health Act laws that have been enacted, they're not laws. Their orders and edicts, which most of them don't stand up. If you just get the ticket and go to court, most of them don't stand up in court and they get thrown out. Interesting. If they want to make it a law, it has to go through the legislature. That's how laws are made. Mm -hmm. So that's not happening. So we're having essentially a king. Each province, Mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau federally, we're having these little kings and queens making orders and dictating to us what we can and can't do. And people just need to ask themselves, are you okay with that? Mm -hmm. Or do you still believe in the democracy that you claim to believe in? Right. Because if you do, you'll stand up and say, no, no, no. If you want to implement these measures, it needs to go through the legislative branch. It needs to go through parliament. The MLAs, the MPs need to vote on this and make it a law. Because you can put sunset clauses on these laws and say, we're implementing this mandate, this mm-hmm. law. Well, it wouldn't be a mandate at that point. It would actually be a law for three months, six months, or indefinitely until sure. the situation calls for it to be rescinded. You can do stuff like that. But right now, they're operating off mandates, which are bylaw tickets, not Interesting. laws. Right. So, and you're, you're talking specifically like... With regards to the public health orders, like capacity and, and social distancing and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that... That's not going through the legislature. That's not no. being voted on by the MLAs. And none of it... I think I remember hearing what you just said, too, is like for all these people that maybe were fined or ticketed for, for any of this stuff, a lot of it has just been thrown out and not been uh, prosecuted all the mm-hmm. way. So there, there's another... There's a, a friend said this to me... Um, a few days ago and it kind of goes in with the theme of you know are you willing to be governed mm-hmm. by a dictator or do you want to be governed by democracy it says for every freedom you allow to be taken away is one less freedom your grandchildren will never know existed hmm. right because they're not coming back like the for instance, like the vaccine passport, I was listening to Tim Dillon, the comedian. He was saying, maybe, you know, maybe in a year we won't be even talking about this. I I'm mad I, at Tim Dillon. So. What did he do? Well, he's come out very against the vaccine passports. Thinks right. they're awful, horrendous things. Still doing shows in New York mm-hmm. where they require vaccine passports. I see. Like, hey, if you feel that strongly about it, have a backbone. Do your shows in another state where they don't require it. Right. 
Fair enough. I think, well, we talked about that a bit too with Rogan, how he's doing the same thing. It's yeah. Like, when his we, is like, the, the, the difference between them is Rogan's show is at Madison Square Gardens, right. where it would have been booked a long time ago before mm-hmm. the vaccine mandates were coming in, and he may not be able to get out of that contract. There's a potential that he could get sued, and it would just be a crazy thing. Tim Dillon is actively booking shows uh-huh. in New York after the mandates were announced. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if Tim Dillon is the the moral standard. I mean, I think he's the funniest guy going, but... Well, there's a guy, um, Jim, somebody, who's on SNL in the 90s. I don't recall his Brewer? full name. Brewer? Yeah. Yes. He has canceled shows. Really? Because he said he will not do shows at venues that are requiring vaccine passports because he wow. says it's none of yours or my business. Yeah, I think, like, I don't know where... where... Again, I think this has been rammed through in a way because... Well, it's two things. It's like both Kenny and Trudeau had said that they wouldn't bring vaccine passports in. They looked at the poll numbers. People said they'd be in favor of it because I don't know why. And so they went ahead and did it. Well, Kenny said it would be illegal and unconstitutional. Right. But But that... Now, correct me if I'm wrong, is he never still hasn't... He hasn't called it a vaccine passport system. He's leaving the policing up to the businesses. They're calling it a... What they what they call it? A vaccine certification? Oh. It's semantics. It's semantics. Exactly right. So, and this is Kenny's a funny one because I'm I err on the side of freedom and, mm. and liberty. So right. I thought after the first couple of weeks of last year, where it's like, okay, let's kind of figure out what's going on. Right. I thought we should have just. There's a, a David Redman. He was a twenty-some year military veteran. He was in. Uh, emergency planning and right. and emergency management in the military. Then he spent over a decade as the head of the Alberta Emergency Management Agency. Okay. So he's pretty well versed in planning and conducting emergency operations. Yeah. He wrote a letter to the Alberta government back in February, I believe, about how, you know, what systems they should put in place okay. to how to deal with this. And it came down to like protecting the vulnerable, right. the, the hospitals, uh, seniors facilities, that kind of stuff. And then if you do that properly, then you can allow the not at risk portion of the population to continue on keeping the economy going, sure. living their living their life. And the government never responded to them. <laughs> so it just seemed odd to me, 20 some years in the military, 10 plus years, not as just like some emergency mm-hmm. planning agency, the Alberta provincial one. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like he's been ready for this. He knows all these people and right. they didn't respond to him. So for me, I felt we should have kind of followed suit with a lot of the things he talked about mm-hmm. and then just let everyone else get back to it. Right. Um, because I err on the side of freedom and personal choice. If businesses then wanted to require masks, require vaccine passport, cool, they can do that. Mm-hmm. Totally fine. If a business wants to do that, I don't have a problem with that because yep. um, then people can choose like if they want to go there or not go there. And and that's kind of what, you know, the market will dictate what, what happens. Exactly. There. But what Kenny's doing is he's trying to play, you know, one foot on both sides. So he's bringing in vaccine passports, but he's giving businesses sort of an out where it's like, well, you can implement it. Mm-hmm. And operate at full capacity as well. So either request a vaccine passport mm-hmm. or a negative test, you can operate at full capacity 
Or if you don't want to do that, you right. can operate, but at a third capacity. Right. I think restaurants, though, have to either adopt it or be closed. Or the, yeah, like no indoor dining. Yeah, if they don't adopt the um, the measures. So I'm like, hey, take a stance. Either say, we're not doing this. Mm-hmm. Each business can decide if they want to implement it or not. Mm-hmm. Or this is the requirement. Everyone has to do this. Like they did in Quebec, Ontario. Right. I say, hey have a backbone and pick a lane. <laughs> pick a you're, lane. You're trying to straddle the fence here. You're going to yeah. get hit in the nuts. <laughs> Next election. <laughs> I've never heard that, but that's funny. Well, and we saw we saw early indications of that. Like conservatives lost a few seats last night here in Alberta because mm-hmm. people are thinking twice about what that looks like. I wanted to ask you about well, a lot of those things. I find that, that David Redman thing pretty interesting, but like, listening to Maxime Bernier talk to Jordan Peterson the other day and people can crucify me for listening, I guess. But he, he mentioned that and I've heard this, I hadn't heard this. We're like the lockdown, the economic lockdown. That's the first time they've ever used that as a method to control a viral pandemic. And I, we, yeah, I can't think of any other time. Right. So and we talked about this a bit on the last show where like, wasn't, couldn't there have been a way and like, I'm still, I don't know why I even care anymore, but like I'm still trying to figure out ways to think about how is the economic lockdown? Because to me, it's like when a government actively cripples the economy like that, like that should really say to you something bigger is at play here because governments are all about the money and chasing the money. Mm-hmm. So what, what have you thought? I'm sure you thought a lot about it. Yeah. It's, it's a, and this also goes back to like, my natural bend of, you know, mm-hmm. personal freedom, the rights of the individual. I don't think the government has the right to tell people whose job or business is or isn't essential. Agreed. Because if it puts food on the table for your family, it's essential to you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the fact that Trudeau just in the last handful of years combined with last year mm-hmm. doubled our national debt. It's like, that's, that's kind of crazy. You think of doubling your your, your yeah. national debt, going from six hundred billion to one point three trillion. Yeah, I heard that. Into the trillions now mm-hmm. we go. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, ask the question again. It was hardly a question. It was just me ranting. I guess my what I what what struck me was like. When in your life have you ever seen governments actively cripple the economy? And shouldn't that say to you, obviously? What is going on here? Right. Yes. Or is it just true incompetence? I don't know if it's incompetence, to be honest. I mean, there's a thing, people can say what they want about it, the, the 2030 Great Reset. Mm. Hey, people can say that's conspiracy. They have a website with videos. Klaus Schwab has a book all about how they're going to do it. Right. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Right. That's kind of one of their core tenets of the 2030 Great Reset is you'll own nothing, you'll be happy. So if you look in the U.S. right now, it's, it's interesting. There's some very big companies, um, BlackRock and other ones that are like some of the biggest financial investment companies in the world that are buying up homes in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And it's happening here in Canada too. Not just like, oh, we're buying a handful of homes here. They're buying entire neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So like new developments where there's like two or 300 houses being built, they're buying all of it. Whoa. Because here's what that creates, a rental class. Because right. they're buying them at above market prices. 
Okay. So if a regular person is like, okay, well, this is a $400,000 house. I'm going to offer them three seventy-five or three eighty. dollars Maybe settle for around three ninety. Cool. Mm. They're coming in and offering like four fifty to five hundred. Right off rip. Sure. How's the average person going to compete with that? Probably they, not. They, they don't. Yeah. So they're pushing people out of home ownership mm-hmm. by doing that and forcing them into these rentals. Mm. So they're called um, LR or LTRs, long term. LTRCs, long-term rental communities, okay. where they're trying to buy these homes and create just whole communities that are just rental properties. Yeah. So if you don't own anything, you're just renting. It's harder to sure. move up economically without at some point having home ownership. Of course, that's right. Because that's part of how you can pass on more wealth to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so if people get pushed out of you know, priced out of the home market, right. well, now they become lifelong renters and you start to lose some of that generational transfer. And then it creates a system where only the very wealthy can do that. Mm. And the middle class and lower class become essentially a surf class. That's just working to create mm-hmm. product and value for the wealthy, mm-hmm. but not getting ahead themselves, not getting ownership in anything themselves. So, Maybe it's not a thing, but it was something that I found interesting that these massive multi-trillion dollar companies Mm -hmm. were buying up whole neighborhoods as investments. And I mean, we all know what housing prices have been doing. They've been going up like like crazy. Right, right. Which it's like, where's the money coming from? Like most normal people don't have tons of excess money to be buying houses people a lot of people have been off work for the last 18 months or in and out of work so it it was just an interesting thing that i came across that blackrock and a bunch of these companies are are buying up all of these thousands and thousands of of homes Mm -hmm. and turning them into these uh, ltrcs that's fascinating and i think that got me thinking too about the way uh they shut down the businesses they shut down the economy in some sense and then they paid people like I, I took $10,000 of CERB because all my income was gone for a while there. I, mm-hmm. I was eligible to do it. But again, I, I don't think that was the thing that, I don't think that was not some grand conspiracy, but that in some ways, it just sets the table for like, oh, people will just take the government cheese, you know? Yeah, 100%. And here's another thing with the the Great Reset kind of conspiracy stuff that people talk about that's not really a conspiracy because... Trudeau's talked about it. Mm. Biden's talked about it. Angela Merkel's talked about it. Boris Johnson's talked about it. Okay. The president of France, Macron, has talked about it. Um, Gates has talked about it. Like um, mm. Zuckerberg, like all these people have talked about it. All these people attend the conference mm. put on by Klaus Schwab, <laughs> who's the author of the Great Reset. Right. They all go and attend the conference that's put on every year mm-hmm. by him and his organization, the World Economic Forum. Mm-hmm. So is it unreasonable to think that they all might be like, hey, we think creating more of a global governance mm-hmm. is going to be helpful for us all. Mm-hmm. And creating a situation where fewer people control more because then you can conduct the economy and the population more efficiently Sure. And 
I'm not saying that they're trying to do this because they're evil or they right. might genuinely think like, hey, if we can consolidate power and control into a smaller number of hands, mm-hmm. it's easier to get things done. Look at China, they're right. a communist mm-hmm. country. So they can change things quickly because the government says, hey, this is how it is now. <laughs> Whereas for the longest time right. here or in the US or Germany, other countries, it would have to go through legislation. It would have to have a reading. It would have to get amendments, all right. this kind of stuff, right? And it's a slow process. So they may feel like, hey, if we can consolidate power into fewer hands, we can orchestrate the global economy more efficiently mm-hmm. and it's going to be better for everyone. Don't People don't need to worry about owning stuff. We'll worry about right. the economy. They right. just show up at their job, rent their house. Yep. We'll take care of all the other stuff. We'll give them you know, um, a monthly allowance mm-hmm. and... They just, you know, will be wealthy and 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 take take care of things for them. It seems like if you just, from a purely economic perspective, that's what's needed to 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 make huge amounts of money. Like in the way that Amazon pays their workers less than a living wage, so that they can subsidize the payroll. The government subsidizes their payroll. I'm probably getting the details wrong, but Walmart does the same thing in some ways. So they don't have to pay health insurance for them. <laughs> right, right. So. What I was thinking about is like to keep this giant machine that we know as the global society running, it requires large sums of human energy. And some people just, some people just get used up, you know? Mm-hmm. And we all, in a sense, are giving into that. And I suppose it's a mission, or my mission, and maybe yours too, is to give less into the, into the machine, you know, and keep more for myself and my family. I think most people, like regular people... That's what they want. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to keep more for themselves, to be able to pass on more to their families in the future, the next generation. There are some people that feel like the government is just a, a handout machine mm-hmm. and it's just money to just be doled out and, and thrown around like a Frisbee. <laughs> um, and then, But if you look at the elites, they all want to consolidate wealth Mm-hmm. as well within their company within their person mm-hmm. so most people want to just try to keep as much as they can get it's trying to find a balance so like i look at myself and go well, i'm kind of like i don't fit a lot of the conservative molds like the the traditional old mm-hmm. school conservative yeah. because i do see value and a need for some social programs mm-hmm. oh yeah but i i'm not i disagree with a lot of stuff on the left because I also agree with a lot of personal rights and freedoms. Mm. So I kind of consider myself a bit of like a progressive libertarian where it's like, I believe that we should have personal autonomy, individual Mm -hmm. freedom and rights and the ability to make choices for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But I also see that there's value in paying taxes for sure. And the government providing assistance to people that fall on hard times um, healthcare, I think healthcare, there could be a, a mix of public and private. I think that might be a better system than just being all private or all public because, hey, at the end of the day, if there's people that can afford to go to private, well, they're not taking up space in the public, mm-hmm. which then frees up more 
um, space for people that need to use public because they can't afford private. Hmm. They'll get a higher level of care because there's less crowding, etc. Obviously, this is just like thoughts. I haven't sat down and no, written fair. out a business plan or a, yeah, you know no, a real fair. policy on this. This is just kind of like looking at how different systems of healthcare work. Be like maybe a hybrid system would be more effective. But I see value in providing you know healthcare for people mm-hmm. and. I, I don't think that just giving people handouts, though, is just the way to go. Because mm-hmm. I think that will breed laziness and apathy. Right. You know, I talk, you know, my, my territory that I cover for work is all kind of east of Edmonton, okay. out to the Saskatchewan border. And a lot of those guys, like, we can't find guys to run equipment. Hmm. I mean, they're often like 30 bucks an hour. Like, we've never not been able to find guys to run equipment. Where are they all? Their theory is that, you know, you get a bunch of young guys that normally would be operating equipment for them. They're all renting a house or a condo together, living off the government. You get three, four guys in a place, you can live pretty decent. Ah. That's their only, because they're like, yeah. we've never not been able to find. Like, I've been in business 10 years. I've been in business 20 years. We've always been able to find operators because we pay good money. Mm-hmm. You know, 30 to $40 an hour for some operators, depending on what kind of equipment they're operating. Mm-hmm. But we can't, we can't find enough people, which is also crazy because we're not necessarily in a booming economic time either. No. So it's not like there's crazy amounts of work that are out there. So they can't even find guys to, to work for the jobs they do have. So hmm. I wanted to ask you this before we wrap and again, forgive me if I'm disclosing your personal medical history here, but you've chosen not to get the vaccine at this moment. Mm-hmm. How are you going to, and how is your family going to navigate uh, essentially being not allowed to participate in the economy in a lot of ways? Yeah, I mean, it creates an interesting scenario to deal with. I mean, we chose not to get vaccinated because I looked at the numbers mm-hmm. and I looked at my age and how healthy we are, mm-hmm. the fact that we rarely ever get sick, uh, we eat healthy, we take care of ourselves. Um, so we just thought, we don't think we need it. We'll mm-hmm. be we'll be okay. And then, especially you know, having had COVID, I mean, the data shows coming out of several countries that having COVID and recovering provides six to thirteen times better protection and longer lasting protection than the vaccines do. Mm. So. I, why do we why do we need to need to get it if that's the case? So now that we're in this situation that that we're in, uh, you know it's 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 interesting because I went Sunday. Mm. I needed new boots for work, mm. so I'm like, well, I'm gonna go Sunday to get boots so I can tr- go to a few different stores, try them on because Monday I won't be able to. <laughs> right. I mean, I could go and get a negative test. But I mean, how many people are realistically going to get a negative test every three days? Well, that's the thing. And that's also a farce, also, I should say, is like to get a negative test and it's within 48 hours? I think they give you 72. 72. So you get three days. Come on. Like, really? That's, that's ridiculous. Because we know that you can get and spread COVID even if you're vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you had a negative test... Like I tested, I had to test negative for, for work on Saturday. It was like, I tested and then I went into to work. It's like, so I could confidently say most likely, I guess, unless it was a PCR test, which we mm. could get into that. But 
But like to say to give someone, okay, you're not vaccinated, fine. But you tested negative within seven. Like it really doesn't even matter. You could have you could have a room full of people with COVID who all thought they didn't have it because they're 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 vaccinated, <clears throat> right? Or they tested negative three days ago and went and did God knows what in three days and then came in. You know, like t- to me, it's just it really reeks of just setting the table for control further down the line. I don't know about the Great Reset, but I do know about this move towards. Maybe you can give me a word for it, but it's a move towards further, more government overreach, I guess. Well, there's a way that the way they're doing it is kind of the textbook way of othering people. Mm. You dehumanize them. So you refer to them as other things besides their names or besides their their human Mm. elements. You call them other terms. Um, So unvaccinated. The unvaccinated are causing this, causing that, even though Israel's uh, cases are skyrocketing and they're almost fully vaccinated there. Uh, Gibraltar has, obviously they're a small population, but they're 117% vaccinated. How's that possible? Because they're 100% vaccinated and then of that 17% of them have a third dose. Oh, okay. Okay. I say they're 117% vaccinated. I I see, they're really, right. They had a higher case count per capita than Canada. Hmm. This was a couple weeks ago. And so, I mean, they should be like beyond protected. So creating the other allows you to dehumanize and demonize other people and allows you to put the blame on them for things that are happening. You know, I see a bunch of pages popping up calling unvaccinated people plague rats. Right. He showed me that. Yeah. Like, nice nice good to know i you know that's my tribe i guess i'm a plague rat (laughs) you're a rat but it it allows you to disassociate the humanity of the person and now they're just this thing this you know evil thing Mm -hmm. that needs to be exterminated Mm -hmm. and i mean not to get too you know dark with stuff but if you look back and not saying that this is what's what these people are going to do not by any means but if you look at what happened with Hitler and the Nazis, people think that that kind of thing could never happen again and, and could mm. never happen here. Sure. Well, that didn't happen overnight. And I had a good conversation with a friend mm-hmm. and explained it, this to him and he agreed. I said, I think most people, when they're thinking of that, are mm-hmm. looking for like an event. Uh. Uh, a tangible, they can wrap their hand around it event. Maybe it's over the course of a month or three months, and then go, aha, that's a for sure sign that tyranny is, is coming. Mm-hmm. I said, that's not how it works. Hitler took over the, the Nazi party as around like 1920 or 1921. Was it that early? They didn't get into power until like 1934. They had kind of some power. They, they had a bunch of elected people from like 1931, but they actually got into power in January 1934. Okay. And then July 1934, they um, implemented, what was it called? The Order? Something like that. And that's where it had language in there that started to single out the Jews. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people forget this, but they also went after people that had disabilities Mm. and the LGBTQ 
what they would do with people with disabilities. I just went through a book on this. Okay. It's a 23 hour listen on Audible. Nice. It was, uh, it was a hefty, hefty read <laughs> or a hefty listen. They would go to schools mm-hmm. and find kids that had disabilities mm-hmm. and they would take them and say, we're going to take them to this boarding school that's specifically for kids with disabilities. They're going to get more personalized care and attention and teaching. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a much better environment. They're going to progress and do much better over here. And then slowly over time, kids would just die by chance. And so they actually exterminated a lot of people with disabilities because they didn't want their genes to right. pass along to the next generation. And so people forget that they did that kind of stuff too, in you know before the Holocaust even got rolling. <laughs> and so they were able to other the Jews by saying they're secret spies, mm. they're a danger to the people of Germany, they are disease ridden, they carry a bunch of different diseases and lice, and they're going to get us sick if you associate with them. You're going to get sick. Right. And uh, there's actually, I'll, I'll pull this up real quick. Sure. Should only take a second to find it. They, um, July 8th, 1942. So this was, they were starting to really isolate Jews, but the, the, the Holocaust stuff wasn't quite happening. As July 8th, 1942, Jews are forbidden to frequent all public establishments, restaurants, cafes, theaters, cinemas, concerts, museums, sporting events as participants or spectators. So I think part of the issue is people are looking for, uh, aha, right. this is obvious. No, tyranny generally happens slow, unless there's like a military takeover right. or a coup. Mm-hmm. Tyranny through government generally happens slow. And that's where I say these people aren't the ones that are evil, trying to do all this stuff, but they are creating the system mm-hmm. that will allow for tyranny to happen. Because now people have been conditioned to right. other. If the government says this group is bad, this group is bad. We have to ostracize them. Mm-hmm. If the government says to stay home, you stay home. If the government says not to meet with people, don't meet with people. Close your business, close your business. Just do what they say because they know what's best. And what's interesting to me is the people advocating for listening to the government were the same people a couple of years ago that were outraged and condemning the government over things like residential schools, mm. over things like, you know, you think back in the U.S., the Tuskegee experiments mm-hmm. where they yeah. took men with syphilis and told them they were giving them treatment, but what they actually wanted to do is monitor them over 20 years to see what untreated and unchecked syphilis would do in the human body. But they told them that they were giving them treatment, but they never did. Mm-hmm. Mostly black men, right? Or, Mostly black men. Or completely, maybe. All black men. It, it, it was, I believe it was all black men. And so the same people that were like, the government can't be trusted, look at all these evil things they've done, are a lot of the same people that are now, listen to everything the government says. Okay, that's right. I'm glad you brought that up because that to me is fascinating. That just as we're seeing this willful crippling of the economy by the government, we're now seeing a newfound faith in the government and institutions which again that should what i think is like 
we're in a secular society for the most part. There's division or there's separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. People practice religion privately. The government is not in any way religious. But okay, so then now you've got a whole group of a whole generation of people who aren't religious, but they still want the answers. That we, they, we're, we're still seeking that one size fits all, that magic bullet, that sort of rational uh, metaphysical answer for everything. Well, we don't have it. It doesn't exist, in my view. We may differ on that. That's fine. But then it's like, well, I, I need it somewhere, and I'm now being forced to confront my own mortality because of a pandemic. Life looks pretty bleak. I, you know, and it's like, well, uh, I trust the government. I, I trust the science. I, I trust... You know what I'm saying here? It's like mm-hmm. people people in a faithless society, people are going to put their faith in something. Mm-hmm. And and it's really, it's been shocking to me that people have so easily just leapt on. And again, I'm not, I'm not being conspiratorial either. I think in, a, in the time of a pandemic, surely the government had to do something. I'm not necessarily saying it was all right or all wrong, even though I just saw today the CDC said the six-foot social distancing thing was arbitrary point that i'm trying to make is we're in a we're in a time without faith for the most part and then government and entertainment and all that 2d sort of really hollow stuff has come to substitute for people a a god that they should really be looking a little harder for there's a a new religion in the world of wokeism Mm. and a lot of people are going to be mad about me saying that but it really is treated like a religion almost like a cult in, in in a sense because if you say anything that they disagree with, or if they find that you said anything in the past mm. that isn't kosher now, you're kicked out, mm-hmm. you're ostracized, you're demonized. So a lot of these people are preaching tolerance are the most intolerant people. Yes. Because if you don't agree with their ideology, well, now you are a something. A racist, a mm-hmm. bigot, a sexist, a misogynist. You're mm-hmm. something. And it's because they're, this is my opinion, a lot of their arguments don't hold water. Mm-hmm. And they, they, I think they know that. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to debate on the merits of their ideas. Yes. So they know if they call you something, they've shut down the conversation. Right. And now you can't say anything because then they just, all they have to do is, you're a racist. Why would anyone li- Hey, everyone, this guy's a racist. Why would we listen to anything he says? Mm-hmm. It's it, like, what? It, 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 I had a conversation with my mom about this. You, you, you know, we just spent $600 million on an election. Mm-hmm. To be in the exact same place we were before the election almost. How many boiled water advisories could we have lifted from reserves with that $600 million? Just a question for people to think about. And they did a lot of talk about reconciliation in the debates. If politicians aren't willing to have the tough conversations, they don't actually care about you. No. I've got a lot of First Nations friends. I grew up with a bunch of them, played sports with a bunch of them. Fantastic people. The politicians don't care about you. They're not willing to have tough conversations to get to the root of the issues that are are plaguing reserves and, and your people. And they don't care about you. They won't fix your problems because they don't care. They're not willing to dig down deep and figure out what the issue is because it's going to require pointing fingers at all sides because nobody is exempt from blame in Mm. where things are at. Yeah. The government has done some really awful things. Residential schools. 
horrific, terrible things that were done. Currently, they promised to lift boiling water advisories. Trudeau promised in 2015. There's still a ton of reserves under boiled water advisory. Elders on a lot of the reserves are highly corrupt, stealing yeah. money from their people. And until they are willing to reconcile and face that, their problems aren't going to be solved. But to solve them is going to require people sitting down and saying, hey, I'm going to say some things that are going to offend you and hurt your feelings. Mm-hmm. Not because I dislike you or I think less of you, but because I truly want to help you. And it's going to require a lot of self-reflection on your side and on our side and figuring out how we can make a better system mm-hmm. so that because a rising tide raises all ships. Right. So if you can help First Nations succeed and prosper in Canada, it's only going to make Canada better. Mm-hmm. So why can't we have those conversations without being labeled as a racist or a bigot? I don't know. I really don't know why. Why Why the politicians choose to go after big, gigantic uh, boogeyman type problems like climate change. Again, I'm not, I don't deny climate change. I don't know enough to, to say either way, but it's like, how dare you, how dare you bring up climate change while we still have boil water advisories in our country? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's, there's solvable, actionable problems that we could, that we could have, that we could work on. But your question, why do the politicians not want to have the tough conversations? They're cowards. They're pandering. They just want to right. say what they think people want to hear. Mm-hmm. And they, they want to say the things that are, they'll attack each other. Right. But they'll never say, hey, what is the government like overall actually doing? They'll never go to the First Nations people and say, hey, what are your elders and chiefs doing to you? Right. Because that's a, a reality. I know people on reserves. Coach a kid in hockey who I ran into, mm. said, hey, what are you, what's your family up to? How's your mom? How's your dad, your sister, all this stuff? He's like, oh, my mom and sister are here in Edmonton with me, and my dad's still in the reserve running his scams with the other elders. Oof. And until <laughs> you're willing to reconcile and face that issue, uh-huh. you're never going to pull yourself out of, out of the situation you're in. So there has to be a combination of personal responsibility on the side of First Nations people. And I think it's, there's more and more people mm. that are getting there Okay. More and more young people that are fed up with status quo from from their elders and that are not doing things in the best interest of the the band, but are doing things in the best interest of their pocketbooks. Mm. (laughs) And I think we need to get that same level of accountability from the outside of First Nations to hold the government accountable to what are you doing. Right. How, how have you allowed this boiled water advisory to go on for so long? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a combination of incompetence from the government and a lack of actually caring. Mm-hmm. It's lip service. Yes. And a combination of some corruption in the First Nations where mm. where's, where's the money going to? Right. We need to be able to audit their books to know where the money's actually going to. Sure. We're not allowed to audit their books right now. Really? So we need to be able to fillet everything wide open from the government to first nations come together say how do we fix this for real you can say some mean things to us say we've done stuff as a government as white people if you want and i'll take that in this conversation because sometimes it's required to say hard things to solve a problem but just to say things in the ether like oh well they want us to to be 
responsible, they're racist. No, no, I want you to be responsible because I, I actually care about people mm-hmm. and I want you to succeed. And there has to be a balance of we need to do some things as a government to help you get there, but you also need to be able to become self-reliant eventually. Exactly right. And that that's that's right because the way it's done now, it's very paternal. Like the, the government dictates down to the, like you're saying, they just, apparently now you're telling me they give them whatever money and then don't really audit with the money where it's done. Stephen Harper tried to audit them when he was last in, 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 in office mm-hmm. and the election came as they were kind of in the process of going through the courts to be able to do that. Okay. And um, then he got voted out and never, right. never went, went anywhere. You know, I think in the in the past I would have withered at conversation like this because you are saying some hard things, but I'm more comfortable saying things like that now. Same with the woke tradition, the woke religion, um, wherein people uh, there's a there's a class of people who are victims, and they're somehow devoid of any any personal responsibility in some of those assertions. It's like. I'm okay with saying that that's wrong and I'm agree I'm okay with agreeing with what you're saying about First Nations because obviously the model that's in place now is not working. And if you want a template for what would happen with total government control, it's probably not that far far off. Right. Because government doesn't really do a lot of stuff right. So how could they manage everybody if we're all suckling off the government remember when remember when liberalism was like an activism was like anti-government and now there's a whole class of liberalism and leftism that's like telling me to listen to the government it's funny all the the anti-establishment punk rockers of the 90s are all now (laughs) pro-establishment get the vax get the vax there was um, a concert uh in england i believe it was and uh, Chief Keef or something like that was the bander. Oh, okay. Something like that. I'm not familiar with them. I no, just saw the video. <laughs> and they said, everybody, put your washed, clean hands in the air oh, with their no. British accent. We can see everyone's hands are clean and washed. And then he's like, who here got the Pfizer vaccine? We're like, yeah. Who here got the Moderna vaccine? Yeah. And let's hear it for the unvaccinated. Boo. Everybody, put your clean hands in the air again. I'm like, wow. how is that not a cult? <laughs> how is that not a cult? Uh, it is a cult. Or it's cult-like. So again, I think it goes back to... Oh boy, that's, that's crazy. And you were seeing, and maybe you still see, people wearing the mask in their profile picture and then in their in their bio what vaccine they got. Yep. Tell me it's not... A virtue signal. A virtue signal for sure. And tell me it's not taking the place of what religion would have done maybe 50 years ago. You know? Like, p- people are drifting. They want you to know what tribe they're in. Right. They, they, just, they want to be accepted into the collective they don't want to be on the outside right i think that's where a lot of people because they don't want to be uncomfortable mm. i've had conversations with my family because you know i post a lot of stuff on social media right i try to educate inform. i i try to not go down conspiratorial things like a lot of people talk about all oh, the vaccines going to kill all these people and blah blah i'm like eh, i don't see it right so i try to just stick more to 
we're dangerously infringing on people's rights. Mm -hmm. And we're setting up a a system that's not going to be good going forward. Like I mentioned earlier, every time you allow a right to be removed from yourself is a right your grandchildren will never know existed. And that's how I look at it is like, what kind of a a world do I want my grandchildren and great-grandchildren to live in? I want them to have as many opportunities and as much freedom as possible. And every time we allow a right to be taken from us now, mm-hmm. they'll never have that in the future. So I think, it, like I said, it, it, it goes back to people wanting to be accepted because it's easier. Mm-hmm. It's not uncomfortable if you're just one of the group. So I've had these conversations with my family and they're like, mm-hmm. maybe you shouldn't talk about this stuff. Maybe you shouldn't post that stuff right? because, you know, what if you can't get a job? What if you can't... Do this. What if people don't want to work with your company? And I just say, I would rather say what I believe to be true mm-hmm. and to try to win people to the side of freedom mm-hmm. and individual rights. And if in 10 or 15, 20 years, we end up in a totalitarian type of system, right. I wouldn't be able to live with myself saying I didn't at least try. Yes. Because I would feel like I'm placing money above what my principles and values are and that doesn't sit well with me so i'm willing to you know take some risks that Mm -hmm. people aren't going to like me maybe some businesses don't want to do business with me maybe some people don't want to utilize my company i'm willing to take that risk because i value what i believe is the truth Mm. and living through my values and principles more than just making some extra dollars and I, I wouldn't be able to live well with myself in 15, 20, 30 years if we ended up in a system. And I said, I kind of saw it coming, but I didn't do anything because I didn't want to be uncomfortable or have any tomatoes thrown at me. Right, right. Well, and so I think a lot of people just don't have that. Like I jokingly said you're a man of principle, but I'm not joking actually. I think I have another friend who's like that. I myself, maybe I'm not quite constituted that strongly yet I guess I wanted to ask you I guess we talk a lot about rights and yes rights are being slowly stripped from us as a people it it seems what's the counterpoint to rights we often hear is responsibilities right so Mm -hmm. are there things then like it's fine to have all these god-given rights or these rights given to us by the government what 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 to you when I say responsibilities then what is it you've you know what I mean? It's like people people talk a lot about, oh, my freedom, my rights are being taken away. It's like, mm-hmm. well, okay, you've got all these rights and freedoms. What good are you doing with them? You mm-hmm. know? Totally. When I think if you have freedoms, you should do your best to make your community as good as possible. Mm-hmm. So that would be you know, doing some volunteer work, doing some charitable, like giving money to charities that do good work in your community, uh, helping your neighbor out. You know, all those kinds of things are what create a culture mm-hmm. and a community that shares values, even if you don't agree. Like, because there was a thing back in the 70s, I believe it was, mm-hmm. where there was like 10 core principles that they used to kind of measure where people fell in the U.S. for political alignment. Mm-hmm. And they found that Democrats and Republicans agreed on six of the 10. Interesting. So a lot of times (laughs) they would agree on the problems. They would just not agree on the solution for how to get there. Right. And they would agree like what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Now I think it was they agree on three Mm -hmm. of the ten. 
It was two or three. I think it was three. We're being pulled further and further apart. So you're being pulled further apart. The media plays a big hand in that mm-hmm. because they make it seem like there's more divisiveness than I think there really is. I mm-hmm. think a lot of regular kind of normal people like us mm-hmm. agree on a lot more than yes. the media would lead us to believe we do. 100%. And so that's why if you're only getting your information from the mainstream media, it's easy for you to be like, well, those are the bad people because mm-hmm. that's what the mainstream media is, is, is saying. Right. And then when it comes to like people say like, well, you you have the right to not get the vaccine, but then that comes with consequences. Right. And then, well, first off, we've never done anything like that before. <laughs> yeah. We've also, you know, if you look at the data, I don't feel that the data bears out the emergency that it's been built up to be. That's not to say that I don't think COVID is real because it's obviously real. We had it. Our kids tested positive for it. So mm. it's obviously it's a real thing. But the level of reaction mm. to it, I don't think fit the actual data. They did a survey and we don't do stuff like this in Canada, so it's harder to speak on it. Mm. But in the US, they were surveying people and, and asking them, well, how many people do you think, like what percentage of people that test positive with COVID do you think end up in the hospital? The Demo- if you are a Democrat voter, mm-hmm. 40% of them believed that over 50% of positive tests ended up in the hospital. Okay. When it was actually like between 1% and 3%. And where were they getting this information? Because that's how the media has hyped things up. Sure. So that's what it's been built up in their mind to seem like right. there's a lot of, it seems like this is what's happening when, when you actually look at the data, mm-hmm. that's not what's happening. CDC data shows of the deaths, only 6% were people that didn't have any comorbidities and yeah. the average comorbidities was 4.2 per person. I know, I know. And like, isn't the overall mortality rate from COVID like around 2%? Like it kills 2% of the people that get it? In Alberta, your survival rate is 99.825%. Right. I was actually shocked to learn that nobody under the age of 19 in Alberta has died of COVID. Only four in Canada, which is less than the amount of people that died from the flu in 2019 mm-hmm. under the age of 19. Now, it's important to me to, to make these claims, but to also still... I, I don't want to get on the wrong side of people that work in healthcare because... Mm-hmm. And that was like... I was doing some work for City News this past week where I went to a protest at the at the hospital. I really that to me was egregious to protest at a hospital. The protest should happen at parliament. Yeah, or legislature or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. I yeah. use that interchangeably I sure. guess in Alberta. We have the 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 one building down there. Yeah. Um that's where they should take place because your your protest isn't with the hospital, I mean, people may be upset that they're mandating employees get vaccinated. Right. But that still comes from the government mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Right. So if if nurses want to protest that, they should A, simply not comply, mm-hmm. or they know they're going to get fired if they don't anyways, you just leave. Right. Just That's leave. your protest. Mm-hmm. I think blocking a hospital or doing things like that, nonsense. Don't do that. Don't be an asshole. Right. Protest at the government who's implementing all these things. Right. Because the hospital is the one place where the politics actually don't exist anymore. If you're in the hospital with COVID, uh, your beliefs really don't matter anymore. Neither do the doctor's beliefs. 
Because now there's one task at hand. I sure would like to believe that that's the case. I think it is. There's a growing number of people, though, that feel if you're unvaccinated and you get COVID, you should be denied treatment. Well, that's a problem. Polling showed um, 65% of Canadians agree with mandatory vaccination. Not vaccine passports, Mm -hmm. the government mandating you must be vaccinated. 60%, eh? Indeed. So there is a growing number of people Mm -hmm. that feel that you shouldn't get treatment if you were unvaccinated and you contract COVID and are hospitalized. I personally don't agree with that. I know you don't. I think it opens up a, a Pandora's box of conversation then. Because then it's like, their argument is you chose not to get vaccinated. You right. got sick and ended up in the hospital. You shouldn't be taking up resources from other people. I get that. Okay. Smokers. You chose to smoke. Right. You chose to start smoking. You know that long-term it creates health issues mm-hmm. and shorter lifespans. Should we not provide health care for smokers? What about people that are obese? Mm-hmm. We know obesity kills more people than COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. should we deny health care to people who are obese? Barring people that have like an actual genetic sure. or, you know, a, a gland issue that mm-hmm. causes them to just, they, they can't, they try their hardest, but they, they just keep retaining weight. I hear you. But people that just through unhealthy lifestyles are obese, mm-hmm. should they be denied? Because that's a choice to be that way. Right. You can eat healthier. You can exercise. There's a lot of things you can do to be a healthier individual. Yep. People that had a drug overdose, mm-hmm. should they be denied health care? An alcoholic that drove his car and got in an accident, yep. should they be left in the car? Like it, the, I don't think they're thinking about the box that that can then open. Exactly right. I, I, I'm with you, man, all the way. I, I don't see a world where that, where we, I don't see it. Nothing good comes out of this, man. It's it's further division, further... Uh, it's You know what it is? It's just becoming more human, in my view. It is really just humanity becoming fully realized is what we are. We love to make teams, and we love to, to just say fuck you to the other teams. And social media has helped facilitate that to great amounts. Mm-hmm. Great amounts. Actually, in that book, The Calling of the American Mind, uh, some of the studies they did found that kids that were given access to social media... Mm-hmm. Um, between the ages of 10 and 16 had three to five times higher suicide rates in college Mm. than kids that didn't get social media till they were 16 years old or older. Yeah. I believe that. Think about that. If you're basing your identity on, on a virtual tribe that can Mm -hmm. turn on you in an instant. Yep. So yeah, I think you're right. Like social media has helped us find our tribe all over. Mm Mm-hmm. And just stick within our tribe and yep. not have to necessarily interact. Because when before social media, well, you had to actually like go to the park or go to mm-hmm. you know events in your community and you met people and you made yes. friends. Now you don't necessarily have to do that as much. You find people online. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're in your city, but you don't have to go to local stuff to meet people. You mm-hmm. find people online that you agree with that fit into your tribe. And now we can all drive and get around sufficiently so now we can go and meet them and hang out Mm. just with that group of people but before we could find those people you had to just be in your local community and you found what you found right try all kinds of people yeah yeah and maybe maybe it made for richer society back then or a a more tolerant society 
I think it did. You know, I think it just made for people that said, hey, we don't agree on everything, but you're a good person. You mm-hmm. just want to do what's best for your family. Right. We have some things that we share in common, and, and it's enjoyable. You're a fun person to be around. But now it's like as soon as you hear that someone has one certain belief, you're like, ah, right. I can't associate with that person. Right, right. Well, I, I, I mean, I guess if anything, we do well to at least try and get back to those values in some way about uh, taking people as people – we're a conglomerate of ideas, you know, like I personally through doing this podcast have been, have become more, uh, I guess, aware of what my views are and being okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I, it's great to talk to people like you who are open, who aren't going too far down any one rabbit hole and just embrace it for what it is without being too narrow minded. Yeah. You know, I think I'm very, I am very rigid when it comes to rights and freedoms and personal liberty. I know that. I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with me on that. Mm-hmm. But that's probably the one area where I'm the firmest. That and in, in, in my faith, okay. right? Sure. But I'm open to certain economic ideas. I'm open to hearing different ways of going about doing stuff, of solving problems. Mm-hmm. I'm flexible when it comes to solving problems. I don't think that my ideas are all, always going to be the best. Mm-hmm. I'm open to getting input from people because at the end of the day, if you actually believe in solving the issue, mm-hmm. you're going to be more open to other ideas or alternatives that are out there because yep. you understand that you can't possibly know everything. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to areas of, of, of freedom and liberty, I'm pretty hardline on that because I've read a lot and and looked at a lot of history and can see the progression that that can take. Mm-hmm. I want my kids, grandkids, great grandkids to have a free and um, opportunity-filled society. Mm-hmm. And if we allow this overreach and the centralized government to continue encroaching and encroaching, mm-hmm. they're not going to have that. And as far as responsibilities to you know, protecting your neighbor in this pandemic. Yeah. I'm a little bit hard on that too. Cause I say, Hey, you also have the right to stay home if you're afraid. Right. When have people's fears ever been ever overridden other people's freedom? I don't know. I've never seen it in my lifetime. I don't think I can't think of a situation where people were afraid of something. They'd be like, you know, Patrick, I'm pretty afraid that um, if I go outside, my neighbor mm-hmm. is going to uh, attack me. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to keep going outside, but you should stay home. Right. It's like, no, I'm going to stay home if I have that fear. Right. If I was really actually afraid of COVID, that I might die from it, right. I would probably stay home a lot. Right. I would be like, hey, I'm not going to take the risk. Right. I'm just going to hang out. I'll order groceries in. I'll go to work, come home, and then I'll just kind of hang out at home and do my thing. But I don't have that fear. So if someone does have that fear, I don't think people's fear is more important than people's freedoms. Because when a government Mm. puts people's fears above people's freedoms, that's again where you can start going down that path because now you can placate to the people that have fear right, and use that fear against them to get them to conjoin and attack the other people. That's how you can kind of also get into that othering mm-hmm. situation. You weaponize people's fear to get them to hate this other group of people that 
don't have fear. That's well said. I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to talk about that and you did a pretty good job of it. But it is tough. We've been really ideologically forced into this bind where it's like I'm being told that I have to act in a certain way because of other people's uh, fear, essentially, or other people's condition, right? Like I can't, I can't go out and do whatever I want because I may sicken somebody else unknowingly. It's hard to morally, it's hard for me to morally, like I can see the, I can see the logic there. I get it. You can be asymptomatic. You can transmit this disease to some old person who dies. Although some studies are saying asymptomatic spread doesn't really happen. Yeah, I'd heard that too. I don't so it's, it, that comes down to like, some doctors say this, some doctors say right. that. Who's right? We don't really know. That's the thing. And that's the whole thing is like, we don't know. And this is a gigantic, massive issue that there is no answer for. And people want to believe. They want to believe, but I wish I had better words for it. But I think you said it well. It's like people's fear is now somehow overriding our freedom. But let's go back to this. What then, what then if there is an issue there, is my responsibility as a citizen in a, in a society? Because we do, isn't there a certain amount of accountability that I have to you? Do you have accountability to me? Well, like I would think your accountability to me is to not physically attack me. Mm-hmm. Don't steal my stuff. Right. Um, but there's inherent danger in living. Right. Every day you leave your house, you could die from something other than COVID. And we all take that risk every mm-hmm. day. We drive our cars. We get on a bus. We walk down a you know dark street at night. Mm-hmm. We take risks. We, 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 we drink at a bar. There's risks to, to doing all these things that we do in life. Yeah. And I look, and this is where I can, you know, maybe disagree with some people is, you know, I look at the data and I go, it, it wasn't, if it was a 5, 10, 15% mortality rate, right. you wouldn't need to convince people. <laughs> it would be evident because mm-hmm. everybody would know people that have died. You think if it, if it was a 10% mortality rate, mm-hmm. Alberta would have had 400,000 deaths, right? Yeah. We had, we've had 27, 2,800. Right. So if it was as bad as the media has built it up to be, mm. I don't think you would really need to convince people to do certain things. They would see it and it would be obvious. Be like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to go around people because if I catch this, I have a 15% chance of dying or a 10% chance of dying. But when survival rate is 99.825 across all ages, mm-hmm. that goes up when you're under 50 and under 40. Right. That goes up even closer to that. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to take the, the risk to live my life normal and be unimpeded Hmm. and be able to pursue and do the things that I want to do. Right. No, that's totally, totally acceptable answer. I, uh, so then another thing that occurred to me then is like, okay, so that's a good answer, right? It's like, we can't, we can't live our life. I can't live my life based on your issues. I'm taking the risk. Now I have to try my best. I think to not unduly expose you to any risk through me, right? Like if, like I, 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 for a long, long time, I still distanced from my parents. It's just like, that's the best I can do. I, I mean, I couldn't live with 
transmitting a disease to them, obviously. Mm-hmm. The other issue then becomes, okay, now these people, and we're kind of backtracking, but I think it's important if you have time. <laughs> what do we got here? Yeah, let's run a few more minutes. Okay, sure. Why is it now that the healthcare system can't seem to handle this this burden? And I, I don't. I'm not trying to blame anybody for government that. incompetence. Thank you. We have to say that if you if you look at the statistics of Alberta ICU capacities in 2020, there was only two. There might have been three months. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if it was two or three, but there was only two or three months in all of 2020 mm-hmm. where our ICU occupancy was above the five-year average right i saw that graphic so show me that right now we have a high icu uh, occupancy mm-hmm. it's it's higher than it was any time last year right but again that's an, an outlier and if you look historically i think i sent you some stuff about how every year there's articles and stuff that come out about how the flu is overtaking hospital right. ICUs and they're going to have to triage in the hallways and every year it happens. So if we know this has happened every year mm-hmm. for 15, 20 years, why has no government ever addressed it? Why haven't we increased ICU capacity? Because it's not a thing that's just unique to COVID. Mm-hmm. Every winter we get inundated with ICU because flu, pneumonia, right. all these things are floating around out there in the regular winter. Mm-hmm. Not anymore, but they used to be floating around there in the regular winter. Cheap yeah. shot. <laughs> I, I, I know. I know. I don't know, and, um, I know what happened there. And you always used to see these articles. Right. So if we've known this to be a true thing for, for many years, mm-hmm. why has the government never addressed the issue and, and fixed it? Why have they never increased mm-hmm. hospital capacity, maybe built new hospitals, done all these things so that the hospitals don't get overburdened we have the capacity to handle stuff in the fall and in the winter when it happens every single year right that's a government failure in 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 my opinion i agree totally i I thank you for saying that and i wonder because it's it's so easy to you you even bring that up and suddenly you're now against nurses and doctors it's like no i think they're working their asses off clearly to the point where they're almost they're almost to the point where they can't do it anymore my last question for you then is really just how do you this idea that it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated where it's like because you chose not to get the vaccine you're taking up room in the hospital and that's pushing us right like that's just that's not the problem in a free and in a free liberal democratic society if there's a whole bunch of people who need to be in the hospital at all times Mm -hmm. how can you possibly put the blame on the on the sick it's like right like you guys didn't and that's bearing itself to not be true in, in other countries that are a few months ahead of us in vaccination. Mm. They're finding rates are increasing in those countries, even though they're almost fully vaccinated. And it's a high degree of vaccinated people that are ending up in the hospitals. So we know that the vaccine's um, efficacy wears off after yeah. four, five, six months. That's why they're coming out with the boosters. Right. It's like, hey, it's just two weeks to slow the spread. Hey, it's just a mask. Hey, it's just social distancing. Hey, it's just close your business and leave your job. Hey, it's just stay at home for two years. Hey, it's just uh, a a vaccine. Hey, it's just a third shot. Hey, it's just a fourth shot. Hey, it's just a Chinese social credit score. Like there's conditioning that's happening because part of what they're learning through this is who's the rule followers and who are not the rule followers. Mm. 
So it makes it really easy. There was a thing on the government of Canada's website that was teaching companies about the Chinese social credit system for businesses mm -hmm. and what that looks like, how they can operate within it. And, you know, it's really, you know, not so bad. This is kind of what it does and it's, it's all right. Yeah. So it's like, are you planning on bringing something like that here potentially at some point? I don't know. I don't have the evidence to, to say that, yeah. but it is interesting that in all these countries, the rule followers are being pitted against the people that don't just follow what they're just told. And it's creating a clear separation yeah. about which group is which. So if they do want to impose a system like that, mm -hmm. they already know kind of who's who. Right. And, and how to combat them. And maybe if they do bring in a system like that, well, the people that they already know are the rule followers, maybe they get a higher starting out score <laughs> than the people that are the right. rule breakers. Damn. I hope, it, I hope it doesn't come to that. But if it does... Grab your gun, I guess. Like, what do you? Um, well, we're in in the process of actually exploring um, a move. Oh, right. Right now, so that's going to take some time. That's a, a whole process to mm -hmm. to go through. But we're looking at an area that we feel, based off what the government has done over the last year and a half, will be a place that will uh, protect people's freedoms and liberties okay. and personal choice and we'll be in a situation that also won't acquiesce to federal government mandates. Ah, They've nice. already told the government on a bunch of things to screw off <laughs> that they can't enforce that there. Right. So we're looking at a potential move. I don't know what the timeline will be, mm -hmm. but it, we've kind of just got to, and, and, just so people know, like this didn't happen because of this. Mm -hmm. This was actually an area that we started talking about back in 2018 mm -hmm. as a potential place to move just for business purposes and stuff like that. And the adventure sure. of, of doing it, we thought it'd be kind of neat. So we've been actually looking at this area for three years now, but this has just kind of been the tipping point to be like, well, maybe we should look at doing it now. Gotcha. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it, man. Like I say, you're a man of principle. I, I admire you, and it's always great talking to you. Thank you for being the first video guest on the podcast. And uh, hey, man, thank you for coming. And Anytime. Yeah. Always happy to, to chat with you, Patrick. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for listening to the North Bank Media Podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, please subscribe on YouTube and give us a like. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Please subscribe as well and leave a five-star review.